Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, shoot it, <laughs> Radio Universe! It's a new day! Yes, it is! I am Vaughn Johnson. You've got me mad now. You know, you got a bicycle! Sounds good. Well, all the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. We're riding a bicycle in the arena. With my man, man, Pots and Pans, Nick Bacone. That's me. I don't know where the kid is that was a riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it to the ring. Smile at you and kick your face off. I that one down. Kick your face But I don't like it when things aren't going my way. Don't you dare be sour! He don't know nothing else. <laughs> you know that wrestling, right, he know that wrestling, bro. <laughs> give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What's up, ladies and gentlemen, out there in internet land, and welcome to episode 295 of The Straight Shooters, available wherever podcasts are found, including... Our home on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pans, Nick Bacone, the Philly voice and Philly influencer. And we have yet another fantastic show ahead of us here on episode 295. It is a Patreon request. We're doing a deep dive that's been requested for us by one of our patrons, Chris Johnson, coming through again with another Patreon request. This time, as we said last week, it will be SummerSlam. 1999 so we're gonna dig all into that uh kind of a lot going on there but the show itself eh. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but we're gonna talk about it uh almost 22 years ago this month which is pretty wild so uh stay tuned for that patreon request SummerSlam 1999 if you want to be like chris johnson and have your piece of wrestling content be Covered here on the Straight Shooters, head over to patreon.com slash shooters radio for put in your request. We'll pay the nominal fee first, two bucks. <laughs> and then then we'll pay your you fulfill your request. And yeah, it'll be a good time. And we even let you make a cameo on the show, which Chris Johnson will do here in a little bit. But before all of that, I gotta do my weekly check on my main man pots and pans, Nick Bacone. How you doing tonight, my good brother? Uh I'm all right, I guess. Uh, hopefully, we make it through. Because in the Philly area, the weather's cray cray right now. So it's hot. It's hot, and we got severe storms rolling through as we record. So I am hoping we get through this without any issues. It rained pretty hard last night too. I was it did. Let my dog out to you know handle some business, and it just started raining <laughs> sideways out of nowhere. So yeah, it's wild right now. I mean, when it's as hot as it is. It's going to rain at some point and cool cool off. You know, this is how it happens yeah, here yeah, in Philly, at least. Especially in the summer. So, uh, And by the way, I'm sure you're looking forward to, uh, as we record this tomorrow night, the Eagles' first preseason game. So, Yeah, man. Season's I, here, I, baby. Lincoln Financial Field, 7.30 p.m. <laughs> uh, I don't know where you can watch it across the country. 1,900 hours, right? 
Is that uh, uh, 1930 hours? 1930. Yeah, there you go. 1930. But uh, military time. But I know here locally in Philly is on NBC 10. Check us out, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Your boy be on the ones and twos on Twitter and Facebook. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's been hectic, man. Training camp, super busy. But you know, I was just in Canton this past weekend for the Hall of Fame nice. induction. Shout out to Harold Carmichael for finally getting inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It took a long time, but he. Finally got that gold jacket. Exactly. That's a, that's a long applause clip. That is very long, but it's it's worth it. You know, it's, it's Harold deserves it because Harold he Carmichael, does. tallest wide receiver in NFL history, he gets a long applause. All right, so long time coming and a long applause so for Harold Carmichael. So it was dope to be out there this past weekend in Ohio. Uh, which is very different from Pennsylvania right now, considering the pandemic, which I thought was like, mm. you, you know, you kind of forget that Ohio is kind of a red state. But like, you know, out here in Philly, we just instituted today we did, yeah. like a mass mandate here indoors, you know, and businesses either re- you either uh, require uh, proof of vaccination or everyone has to wear masks, except, I guess, when they're eating and drinking. That ain't the rules in Ohio. And bro. I, uh, even in Jersey, you know, I'm going back to, to work and school in September, and they have K through 12, uh, masks indoors in schools. So, right, which is look, that should be the case because yeah. a lot of kids, most, you know, yeah, if you're under 12, you can't get the vaccine yet. So, that should be the case anyway. Uh, it's wild to see some of these states uh, saying no masks. We don't want no masks amongst these kids who can just get this virus and get really sick. Like. <laughs> They're not vaccinated, they build up their bro. immunity, yeah. Like, They're young. They'll be fine. What? They just don't understand. I don't the, understand either, but the, the Ohio. Unknowingness was, of this. It's just, the, the masking in Ohio is much different than the masking you see here, even in Philly. Well, I mean, maybe. The, and that sucks because a lot of Ohio people are ugly. Hey, look. That is Nick Pacone saying that. <laughs> we have listeners in Ohio, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. That is the views of Nick Pacone and solely Nick Pacone. Uh, shout out to our fans in Cleveland and Canton and Akron, <laughs> Northeast Ohio, Cincinnati, Columbus, all over Ohio. I appreciate you. <laughs> Just y'all mask wearing was like hit or miss. <laughs> like I was not feeling it, go. but yeah. uh, it was still overall a. Good time. You guys aren't ugly. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, he means it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's hot. It's, it's training camp. Uh, we got the preseason game tomorrow night, so it's a lot going on here in Philly. The Phillies are doing well. The, the, yeah. Their streak ended last yeah, night, yeah. but you know what? And I'm okay with that. So just the the circumstances of everything. So I'm back on the bandwagon. And I'm a huge diehard Phillies fan, and I'm just so tired of uh, how the team has done the last decade, so I, I just get into it. And uh, this run's been pretty nice, so hopefully they yeah. keep it up. Dodgers are a good team. They are. <laughs> like, they are. And then with the weather, you know, Amarnola was rolling. Max Scherzer was rolling last night. Like, what are you going to do? Like, the weather got in the way. And, oh, uh, the rain delay, yeah. Yeah, so it really – there was an hour-plus rain delay, and then, you know, both starters were out. Of course, you know – Dodgers will win games like that. They're the better team, but whatever. <laughs> whatever, exactly. <laughs> just whatever. get me to September, get me to October. I want to see October baseball in Philadelphia. It's been great. 
10 years, right? Yeah. 2011? Yeah. That's crazy. Considering mm. the, was it five straight years there yeah. was playoff baseball here? Yeah. yeah. It was like an annual, like, rite of passage. Like, you just knew the Phillies were going to be in the playoffs. And then we've gone 10 straight. I would have never guessed yeah. the Phillies would have won 10 straight years without being in the postseason. That's just... I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed that if you asked me in 2012 they would go the next decade without making the playoffs yeah. I'd have been like you crazy the yeah. Phillies are dope like, what are you talking about but I probably would have been like of course because they break my heart all the time you know before yeah, that man. five year run it was heartbreak after heartbreak so you got a got a got a World Series out of that though come we on we did we did and went to another World Series that's pretty good it is it is that's pretty good I'm down that's with a, that's a nice for Philadelphia sports that's a great run five it was is. a five straight division titles it is yep. two national Two National League titles and a World Series. And then it's funny because they kept getting better every year, but they kept losing in the playoffs, you know, <laughs> earlier and earlier. That's true. So it was just it, it was a crazy time to live, live through, but Citizens Bank Park was a party, like, every night throughout the summer, and it was so much fun just uh, living through that era of Phillies baseball. And, you know, it, there were a lot of people that were, weren't even, like, they didn't know the ins and outs of baseball. They weren't really baseball fans they came out for the social aspect and it was fine like everyone you know like all right hop on the bandwagon let's go and uh that's when i kind of understood that mindset instead of being one of those fans that like gatekeep and it's like oh well what do you do on the uh, three two pitch like i don't i don't do that crap anymore <laughs> so uh come one come all you know it's the, the more the merrier and uh yeah, this Phillies run is really giving people a lot of flashbacks about that era in Phillies baseball. So hopefully the end of the summer is a good one. Let's hope. Let us hope. Well, the end of the summer in 1999 was an interesting one for the World Wrestling Federation. You ready to deep dive into SummerSlam 1999? Uh, sure, why not? Let's do it. Remember oh, this intro. The Attitude Era intro. I decided to include the intros nowadays. I would like to introduce to you the enforcer in the main event at WrestleMania in somewhat what? of a guest referee capacity, Iron Mike Tyson. I was so confused at first. <laughs> Watch this intro. <laughs> then I got it. Recap of the history of Steve Austin and Vince McMahon. So that's what you take from this intro, huh? I mean, at least the first part of it, yeah. I guess it's what, special referee matches? Yeah. Okay, I just realized that. <laughs> Listen, it took me a while, too. It was this point, because I was like, Stone Cold and Undertaker over the edge? Why is that a highlight? Just 
he has the power. That's a great song, Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. I got the power. Remember that song? <laughs> no. Oh. What? Yeah, yes, I, I do kind of, but I don't remember who sang it. Damn lie. You said you a damn lie. <laughs> I got the power. See? I, I that's it, that's right? sort of how it went. Yep. <laughs> I've got the power. That's that's your that's uh, Jesse that. Ventura impersonation. <laughs> I tried. You tr- you tried. Yeah. That's that's correct. SummerSlam, presented by the World Wrestling Federation, came yeah, to no us. Sponsor, uh, Chef Boyardee presented. Oh, uh, Chef Boyardee. Yeah. But it came to us August 22nd, 1999, emanated from the Target Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the few arenas that still has the same name from this time period. Like, yeah. I think Staples Center might be one. And I mean, I guess Madison Square Garden and stuff like that. But like, if it's like a sponsor on the uh, uh, on the building, that usually changes multiple times. But I guess I think Target is like based out of Minneapolis because I think the Twin Stadium is also called like Target Field. Yeah, I believe. I totally forgot uh, it was this far back. I thought Target Center was relatively new, and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, that must be, yeah, their, their headquarters, I think, are in Minneapolis. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Either way, uh, I, believe the, I believe the Twin Stadium, let me look that up real quick, is named, at, is named Target Field. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, right? Uh, yep, Target Field at One Twins Way, Minneapolis, Minnesota, according to Google. <laughs> But Target Center, Minneapolis, because when you think summer, you think Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, in an, an arena as well, again. Of course, yeah. <sighs> the tagline for the show is an out-of-body experience. Of course. Love it. That was in reference to Jesse the Body Ventura, who was making a special appearance as a special guest referee for the main event. Of course, Jesse Ventura was the governor of Minnesota at the time. So that 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 meant something. That was a big deal. And of course, according that drew a big crowd. According to Wikipedia, there was seventeen thousand three hundred and seventy people in attendance. Of course, Wikipedia has never let us down. Oh, but maybe it did, because Jim Ross said multiple times on his broadcast that there were nineteen nineteen thousand four hundred and four people in attendance. So who do we believe on that? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't That's know tough. That's tough. I don't know. Either way, there was a bunch of people in the crowd. I'm assuming it sold out. Jim Ross, I think, at one point said the show sold out in under an hour. So regardless of whether it was 19 or 17, the place was packed. This was, this was 1999, WWF. Everything they did, no matter how trash or how good, people loved it. <laughs> right? They were killing ratings. They were killing how you know live event attendance didn't matter. Uh, but for this show again, Jesse the Body Ventura making a special appearance as a special guest referee for this show as the current governor of Minnesota. He won that election in November of 1998. He ran as an independent. He narrowly defeated the Republican Norm Coleman and a Democrat Hubert H. Humphrey III. Now that sounds familiar, Hubert H. Humphrey. His dad, his father, was Hubert H. Humphreys Jr., obviously, which, of course, you know, he's the third, his dad is Jr. But he was the 38th vice president of the United States. Huh. His, his, the president was Lyndon B. Johnson. Now, the only reason why I personally remember Hubert H. Humphreys, not because he's vice president, 
this is the sports brain in me that's just like Hubert H. Humphrey. I know that. Only reason why I know him is because the dome where the Vikings and the Twins played back in the day was named after him. So hmm. Hubert H. Humphrey Jr. I should say. How about that. So yeah, the, the the Metrodome in Minnesota. So, but Ventura's appearance. Uh, well, as I say, before he became governor, as I say, he was also the mayor of Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. In 1990, he served from 1991 to 1995. So this wasn't his first foray into politics. He had some experience there. But his appearance for WWF was surprising for multiple reasons. Firstly, he was a sitting governor of the, of the state. Uh, and he was getting paid for his appearance, which critics called unethical at the time. Uh, because you know you don't want politicians profiting off the office that they you know they they reside in. Uh, also, WWF. Let's face it, we're to think of the attitude there. They weren't exactly known for you know highbrow entertainment. Uh, <laughs> people, you know, uh, I would say older people, probably people who didn't have, um, I don't know, who just weren't who kind of uptight people. Yeah, and, and I mean, granted, like, I'm 35. If I was watch, if I was thirty five now, like in my body, watching this, I probably wouldn't be interested in it. Like I'll, I'll give him that. I understand it, and now. that's fair. I understand the thought process. I, I kind of understand so, it too. Yeah, but back then, it's what the people were watching. Absolutely. So you, how how long do you fight against this tide, this mm-hmm. tidal wave that's that's just taken over? Mm-hmm. So you know their brand of entertainment didn't necessarily, uh, the critics didn't necessarily love WWF's brand of entertainment. Um, but his, like I said, his appearance was deemed unethical by critics. Uh, and I actually found a story from this time, August 20th, 1999. So two days before the show took place in the Chicago Tribune, it was written by a man named David Brower. Okay. And it starts off, you know, talking about the tax situation, people were getting a rebate check and talking about how Ventura was scheduled slated to make a hundred thousand dollars from this Hmm. give or take right but that's not totally true apparently according to this story so let me read from the story shall we let's Uh, let's dive deep let's dive deep into the story because we get into all the stuff about when the show is taking place and whatnot, and uh, you know all this different stuff, but it says, "How big will Ventura's cut be?" The WWF won't comment, and Ventura has said only that he will receive a normal percentage of videotape royalties, which is something else we're going to talk about, <laughs> <laughs> plus a copyright payment for use of his trademark trademarked Jesse the Body moniker. Dave Meltzer, who publishes the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Which follows the industry finances says Ventura should make more than a million dollars. That's a big difference from a hundred thousand and a million. But I guess his downside was a hundred thousand, and the royalties and everything else could amount to a million. Mm. Ventura has complained that critics are biased against pro wrestling, telling CBS TV that no one would blink, no one would blink if one-time NBA star and former senator Bill Bradley was asked to referee a basketball game. And they said the governor repeatedly tries to say that this is a class issue or an anti-wrestling issue. Said Schultz, I guess we mentioned his first name earlier. I skipped, missed that. Let me look up his full name just for proper context. Uh, Schultz. I got to search his name. David Schultz, the president of Common Cause 
Minnesota. Not Dr. D. David Schultz, <laughs> not to be confused <laughs> with him. Um, but he said that he believed that you know Jesse Ventura is breaking the rules. He filed a count a conflict of interest complaint with the state, claiming that Ventura has traded on his office to earn outside income and created future conflicts on issues such as regulation, taxation, or subsidy for entertainment within the state. Okay. What are you talking about? Just don't want people making money off of that office. That's what the whole point is. What the hell is going on here? I understand this might be going over some people's heads. <laughs> okay. What you talking about? Um, but Ventura said he's going to donate. What you about? Ventura said he's going to donate the hundred thousand to charity, which you know, whatever. But he said it's a conflict of interest. Schultz said this. If Bradley were in office, if he were paid to ref a basketball game, he would have the same conflict Ventura does with wrestling. So it's like, yeah, you saw you bring up Bill Bradley, but he'd had the same issue. So that's that's not a good point at all. Uh, so far, the Minnesota public appears to be in Ventura's corner. I mean, clearly they voted for the guy, yeah. uh, partly because of the governor's performance on his day job. In a Minnesota poll taken after the wrestling announcement and a legislative session that produced record education spending, which is good, and a tax rebate, which you don't see very often. I forget how much that was. It's earlier in the story. Uh, Ventura recorded a 73% favorable rating, the highest ever for a governor. That's absurd. 73% <laughs> people are like, yes, we like this guy. I have a nice hefty rebate check. The average check is $652 coming back. $652 is the average rebate check. That's crazy. My income taxes are lower, and I don't see his participation in recreation activities as anything that will affect his performance, says Scott Shook, a computer engineer from Mound, I guess that's in Minnesota, Mound, Minnesota, who voted for Ventura. But these are... There are those who believe the wrestling appearance erodes Ventura's image. Radio talk show host Jeff Dubay, or Dubai? I don't know. It's spelled D-U-B-A-Y. So, <sighs> radio shows, radio talk show host Jeff Dubay. I'm gonna say Dubay. Who <laughs> <laughs> took over Ventura's radio show during last fall's campaign says the governor's old audience is split over his private dealings. The blue collars have no problem with it, Dubay said. But I think Jesse has hurt himself a bit locally. He's lost some credibility, and people are starting to question his motives. Will you stop? Oh. So, yeah, this did not come without any controversy. This I was... do remember kind of like in the mainstream having and seeing this uh, play out uh, in that way where, you know, there was a lot of criticism there, and then, you know, him, you know, coming back. And to me, it was like, man, he's a wrestler first. He's not a politician. And like in my head i was what 13 14 at the time so in my head i'm just like he's a wrestler first like what the hell is going on here like okay he's a politician but uh he's he came from wrestling so to me it was like a no-brainer that that he was involved in uh that i, I just didn't understand why people were cr criticizing him to begin with it's like he's back in the wwf like where he came from <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> he's back home yeah Yes, that was met with some resistance from some people, critics at the time. Uh, so this was a pretty big deal. Again, this is not just like a, a big deal in Minnesota. This was like nationwide news because obviously WWF is the hottest thing going. And Jesse Ventura 
on his own is like a lightning rod just because he was yeah. a former wrestler and a former actor, you know, as a governor who probably thought, no, probably, I'm pretty sure there's people out there who thought he had no chance at winning uh, the, govern, the gubernatorial election in Minnesota in 98. Mm-hmm. He did. And the same people probably thought Arnold Schwarzenegger had no chance at becoming governor of California. <laughs> he did. Mm. The same people probably thought Donald Trump had no chance of becoming president of the United States. He did. So, uh, you know, I'm sure it was a surprise to some. And then he's, like, again, sitting in the governor's office at this event, it's a big deal. Uh, should he have done it? I don't know. I don't dig into the these nitty-gritties. I mean, I, I guess, like, again, you don't want the the uh, politician to profit from the office personally like that I guess right that that's deemed unethical so in that sense he shouldn't have done it but I he mean, did it and the I people wonder. loved him for it so I don't I don't know I mean they he gave him some money he gave him a tax rebate and it was like you could do whatever you want fam <laughs> whatever <laughs> like like I I guess if it wasn't held in Minnesota or Minneapolis it would have been uh, not as crazy but uh, again to me it's like he he's going back to what he was doing before, like what was the big deal uh, type of thing. So uh, I understand like both sides more now, but uh, back then I was just like, dude, like he's just having fun, like relax. <laughs> and, and it's funny, we've seen since then, and I don't know what Glenn Jacobs slash Kane has done with his money that he's gotten paid for, by WWE, or if he's gotten paid, I'm, I'm pretty sure he has. I'm just not, I don't, we don't know what he's done with it. But as mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, Glenn Jacobs slash Kane you know, he's made appearances on WWE TV as Kane. That's true. So, it hasn't become, you know, it, maybe because we've seen a lot of crazy stuff in the years since Jesse Ventura that it hasn't really made been made a big deal. But he's made multiple appearances and wrestled matches <laughs> as the yeah. governor. Yeah. And as the mayor, I should say, of Knox County, Tennessee. So, uh, very interesting stuff there. Uh, but there's another reason why Ventura being in cahoots with the WWF again was quite surprising. And that's because he once sued the company (laughs) for not paying him his royalties on his home video releases. And he he won this judgment. He did. The jury in this case found that Titan Sports, WWF, had defrauded Ventura in the amount of $800,333.06. Don't forget that six cents. Mm -mm. Pay him in full. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, that was the amount he should have been compensated. The jury also awarded him an extra $8,265.60 in back pay for his name, image, and likeness. Ventura also tried to unionize pro wrestling. Remember that? Uh, remember reading right? about that, yeah. But Vince McMahon somehow found out and threatened to fire him if he kept, you know, if he went through with it. And Ventura's like, man, we had it. We yeah, were like Hulk, this close to making it happen. That's why he hated Hulk Hogan, right? Hulk was like, eh, right. let's not. Let's let's not. <laughs> right. Because eventually Hulk Hogan, you know, Ventura found out that the Hulk Hogan's one who ratted him out to Vince McMahon. Mm. And, you know, snitch ass Hogan prevailed in this instance because he was like, Union? Man, I'm getting paid. I don't need no union. <laughs> I'm I'm flying private. What we need a union for? The guy that pays me doesn't want this union. So I'm going with what he wants. <laughs> Yeah. Or doesn't want. So, I'm going to protect myself in this instance. Even though we've kind of had this conversation before, some collective bargaining should happen in pro wrestling, specifically WWE. I understand not every promotion can afford that infrastructure uh, that 
comes with a union and a collective bargaining. But it's kind of absurd that they don't have one at WWE, that they can't get their own health, that they they don't provide health insurance. They should definitely pay for their their rental cars and their hotel rooms. I know they provide plane tickets, right? But these guys got to drive themselves, get their rental cars, book the hotels. That should be taken care of by somebody. No, you know, you look at screen actors guilds, sports teams, any type of entertainment like that where there is collective bargaining, they don't have to do none of that stuff. Right. You know, ask an NFL yeah. player if he books his own travel to go to a game. He doesn't. You know, like <laughs> as an actor, they have to pay for their stay when they're doing a the movie. Generally, they they don't. I'm I'm certain they don't because that's part of. I'm pretty sure that's part of the union. You know, they don't have to do that. They have there. There are certain conditions that each side collectively bargains, and that they're entitled to by the law. I remember. I never forget this interview that Bailey did before WD, before SmackDown went on Fox, and she talked about to this interviewer who clearly wasn't familiar with the ins and outs of pro wrestling that they drive. You know, the wrestlers drive themselves from show to show, and the interviewer was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> She was flabbergasted because somebody of this stature, of this type of entertainment that's seen by literally millions of people every week, they get, you know, they get paid good money. They put their bodies on the line every night and they, they got to drive themselves from show to show. What what musician does that? What comedian does that? <laughs> like what high level comedian does that? They don't. They have a tour bus. They have a driver. They have something. And yet these guys are in these rental cars late at night. Honestly, putting themselves at risk, probably. I'm yeah. like, we talked about it. Surprised nothing happens to these guys more often uh, than the occasional DUI, I guess, from Jimmy Uso, unfortunately. Was it Jimmy Uso? Yeah. I believe so. I believe right. so, right? But, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. So, it's odd. And they should have some type of collective bargaining, but they won't, as long as Vince McMahon has to say. And there's not only... Will they not have that? They'll still be classified as independent contractors, <laughs> which is also a massive load of BS. So, yeah. Jesse Ventura was on to something, and he, he uh, was. And, he in was. hindsight, uh, he it would have been dope to see him kind of follow through on that, and it'd be crazy to see where the wrestling business is today if he was successful in really creating a union within the WWF. It'd be crazy to see how things, how different things would be if Ventura was successful in that endeavor mm-hmm. but thanks to hulk hogan he wasn't <laughs> happy birthday hulk hogan by the way sucker that's <laughs> the day his birthday yeah, was yesterday yeah today that's right look it up three days yeah. after my mom's birthday happy belated birthday they... to her thank you i can't believe they share the same month Ugh. But Hulk Hogan, born on this day, as we record this, on August 11th. He was born on this day in 1960, what? 1950-something? Gotta look it up again. Something. 1953. He's 68 years old. One of the oldest snitches in the world. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Damn shame. <Mm-mm-mm>. <sighs> Moving on. <laughs> First thing I noticed when the start of this show happened was... The logo for SummerSlam. Trash, in my opinion. Then they they used it in 98 as well, right? Yeah. And uh, I liked that, and I think it's because the the lead-up to 98 felt so different. Uh, the Highway to Hell, it was the WWF was officially in the Attitude Era, Austin Champ. 
and it just was an entire different feel or atmosphere around SummerSlam. Going into '99, I didn't feel the same way. So, uh, yeah, I'm not like a huge. I'm not huge on this logo, and I'm not huge on like the signage they had in the arena. It was just like, blah, the set. Like, what the hell was that? Right. For one, this show is about. It's called Summer Slam. So let's make the motif black. <laughs> what? Let's make it colorful and vibrant and bright, like you did in the years prior. I understand yeah. you're trying to go like even in '98, it was like the red stood out. Right, it was more it red. Out. But this was black. <laughs> it was like I understand, like you're trying to go like darker and more adult, but like adults like colors. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we like to wear we like to wear colorful clothes. We like colors. I want to see a blue sky. When I think summer, I think of blue sky and some good you know, food on the barbecue grill, you know, and a, and a beer or two. I don't think just darkness. <laughs> like, what? Summer it's fest. Just, it just didn't make any That's sense. That's what I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think of summer fest. So I'm glad they got rid of this logo the next year. They they going back to they went back to colorful the very next year because like this this logo sucked. <laughs> And, it, and then you mentioned it, the stage. Stage sucked. What was that? It was like like the lifts that people use when they have like the uh, like no phone company come out and fix the phone towers in your neighborhood, <laughs> or like the electric company come out and fix the uh, the electrical wires. That's what they had as the, as a set, like big spotlights on top of it. And then of course the sign that says SummerSlam. In case you forgot what show yeah, it was, just a sign, like no. Right. It, it, it was like the sign they used when they had those circular entrances in like 98 uh, before yeah. they got rid of them. You know, that's the sign they would use. And just like a, I would have preferred that that uh, stage though over this. This, this was yeah. very <laughs> unimaginative and didn't fit that summer motif, that summer theme. Like they kind of they got it right starting the next year with like more screens, more colorful. You know, but this this is just not a good looking SummerSlam. It's just, yeah, yeah. And I liked it then because I, I didn't like the whole color thing. Uh, you know, the next year or whatever, I actually didn't like that at the time. Uh, but now it's like it, it is what it is. I'm like, okay, that makes more sense for a SummerSlam. So then when I look at this, and you know, it's just weird to me. I'm like, man, it's, it's not very uh, even. In keeping with the traditions of SummerSlam, like their what third longest pay per view at this point, uh, if not, it's like still one of the big four. Even though they have pay per views every month, man, they just didn't do anything to make it stand out. <laughs> not at in, all. in uh, aesthetically, no, I agree with that. They they got it. They Sucked. started getting it better the next year. Which I know it's like, oh, and they're going darker because of the Attitude Era. It's like, yeah, but 2000 was a part of the Attitude Era, too, <laughs> you know? Yep. And they got it right. So, you know, there's definitely improvement there. Um, we start the show with Jesse Ventura. He's laying down the law to Triple H in backstage. <laughs> Triple H is having none of it. Neither was China. We then go to Chris Jericho for some reason who had only debuted in WWE 13 days prior to this event. We just passed the 22nd anniversary of his debut. I believe it was August 9th, 1999. Yep. Uh, so here we are 13 days later, and what is he doing? He is hanging out backstage with Howard Finkel. Chris, who, Chris, 
event. I had to park the car up on the third line. Be quiet. Listen, I don't want to hear your excuses. I don't want to hear your stick. I don't want to hear your song and dance, Harold. Do you believe that Chris Harold. Jericho is here to save Harold. WWF? Harold. Yes, I do. Do you believe in what Y2J stands for? Absolutely. Do you believe that I'm here to save your job, Harold? Yes, yes. Well, then you need to be yes. on time. You need to be precise. You need to get your act together. It's all about impact, Harold. Impact. It's Howard. Oh, whatever. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Harold. Uh, beautiful. <laughs> Shout out I totally forgot about Fickle's, like, like, it was right after Jericho debuted, and I already forgot that Fickle was doing that stuff. It's hilarious. Uh, shout out again to the to an actual Harold, Harold Carmichael, <laughs> being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Not, yeah, not uh, Harold Finkel, <laughs> as he was called here. Exactly. They made Jericho look like such a jabroni early on in his run, and they made him look like a jabroni early on uh, later know, on in the I, show too. They, so. they well, I liked that he was coming to save the WWF for being terrible, even though they were obviously number one. Like I liked that <laughs> whole story, but yeah. yeah, like I think his first real feud was, uh, if not Road Dog, it was like Ken Shamrock, and it just missed the mark. It just wasn't great. But uh, I enjoyed him on the mic uh, when he debuted, and even tonight, this night, like I enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. the fact that he's like, I'm here to save you guys, and literally no one's buying it, yeah, and I think that's I, part. That's the part that makes it funny to me. I get it. It's just he was still fresh out of WCW, and he had to. He he talked, and his cadence was still that WCW version of him, and it yeah. just didn't fit WWF, where mm-hmm. they talked more realistic and more adult, and he was talking like <laughs> the goofball he was in WCW. Still, he eventually stopped. And became, you know, yeah. you know, more, I guess, WWF-like and shedded that WCW uh, stick he had going. But on this night, he still was talking like he was in WCW. I felt like he was cutting a promo on one of the Cruiserweights again. <laughs> and it just didn't fit WWF at that point. That's a good point. You know, I could see that. You got The Rock cutting promos with Billy Gunn saying, Bob, but my name is Billy. It doesn't matter. And it's like... <laughs> like <laughs> You can't come with the whole, you know, stuff that Jericho is doing. And it, it just, and maybe that's not WWF's doing. That's just Jericho still being Jericho. And he had to figure out not to do that at, at a certain point. He had to, you know, uh, find his find his way in WWF. But at this point, it was just like, eh, just didn't fit to me. But he, he found his footing at some, at, 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 you know, inevitably. Yeah. You know, he got it together. Um... But the opening match, SummerSlam in 1990... Well, wait a second. Before we get into the opening match, we got to get into our patron, <laughs> Chris Johnson. <laughs> yeah. I didn't forget about you, Chris Johnson. You did not. So why don't we go to Chris Johnson before we get into these matches and get his thoughts on SummerSlam 1999, shall we? Let's do it. Take it away, Chris. <laughs> Hey, straight shooters! What's going on? It's your boy Chris Johnson again with this uh, with my thoughts on the uh, on SummerSlam 1999 that you guys are doing a deep dive on uh, opening video pack, which is about you know guest referees I had in the past for like main event matches, mainly Vince McMahon and Shane and Mike Tyson being the enforcer at WrestleMania 14. Yeah, it was a decent package to open up the show. 
the set, I'm not really sure what it was. I'm not sure if it was like arms from an electric electrical truck, but they were like holding up light truss and the SummerSlam sign in the middle with the big mesh fencing in the background. It was an interesting looking set to say the least. Opening match of the night you had D'Lo Brown, Jeff Jarrett for both the Intercontinental and European titles. Match pretty much started with Jeff Jarrett sending Deborah to the back. Uh, they were having their issues, but then she would come right back with D'Lo, and D'Lo made his interest. I love D'Lo Brown's theme music back then. It was really, really dope, and I thought D'Lo was a really good performer. I love the, the powerbomb he did, which I believe he called was the sky high. I thought, I thought it was a cool move. Towards the end of the match, Mark Henry made his appearance, and him and D'Lo have been really, really good friends, but Henry turned on him, hit him with a guitar in the back. Jarrett got the win. And both belts, and it was all a ruse with Deborah rejoining Jeff Jarrett and Mark Henry. It's a decent opener to the show. And yeah, the tag team turmoil match for the number one contendership for the tag titles Edge and Christian, the Hardys, Midian and Viscera, the Hollies, the Acolytes, and Draws and Albert. Wasn't really a whole lot to this match. Um, the biggest highlight for me was Viscera hit the rolling heel kick on Edge, a guy of that size with that agility to do that was kind of crazy. Acolytes got the win. A hardcore title match, Al Snow, big boss man. Al Snow started the match by you know, purging himself up in the set and then diving on the big boss man. Road Dog was an interested party to say the least during this match, following him doing commentary. After a few minutes, they went outside the Target Center uh, into a bar, fought in there. Al Snow using the urine cakes on boss man. Al Snow hit a moonsault off top of a bar onto the big boss man through a table. Uh, boss man pushed Road Dog after he said something, not re- recalling what he said. Then Road Dog hit him with the nightstick. Al Snow used the pool balls to get the win and the hardcore title. The women's title match was next. You had Ivory versus Tori. Not really much to say about that. Ivory won. It was a match. Real, real short. Nothing really happened. Then you had the Lions and Weapons match. Steve Blackman, Ken Shamrock. They had an ongoing feud for months. Blackman was the first one to utilize the weapons around the Lions Den, choke Shamrock with the nunchucks. And then Blackman used a kendo stick a few times on Shamrock, including in the head. Shamrock returned the favor, hit Blackman in the head two times with the kendo stick, and then knocked him out to get the victory. Then you had Test versus Shane in the Lover Reliever Greenwich Street fight. Test with the press slam on the Shane. Test were press slamming Shane onto the Main Street Posse as they sat rings out on the couch. Then they all fell over in a comedy type manner, kind of goofy like. Shane then took a photo of the Posse and him, and he smashed it over Test's skull. Shane hit one of his usual crazy elbow drops on Test through the table. It was a good spot. At the end, Test ended up winning the match with the pump handled power slam, which I thought was a cool finish for him. And then the elbow from the top. I thought it was a really, really a pretty good match. And I thought it was maybe one of better Shane McMahon's better matches. Then you have the tag team titles, Kane and X-Pac versus Big Show and The Undertaker. I thought the mashup with Kane and the DX theme was pretty cool. And Kane had some fly gear on the, the switching of the black and the red. I thought it was pretty cool. One of my favorite moments of the match, and I'm sure one of Nick's favorite moments of the match, is when The Undertaker ran off Hebner when he was getting his offense in the corner. X-Pac took a beating in this match, but then again, that's what he did, and he showed how tough he was. <clears throat> Towards the end, Big Show hit a choke slam on X-Pac and just put his foot on him to get the cover, and Undertaker was mad, so he tagged himself in, hit X-Pac with a tombstone, won the tag titles for his team. Then you had The Rock and Billy Gunn in a kiss-my-ass match, or Sheamus would say a kiss-me-arse match. 
Uh, Billy Gunn brought a surprise person with a blanket over their head to the ring. I thought it was Grimace from McDonald's from the shape of the blanket, but it wasn't. It was a, shall we say, a larger sized woman. Towards the end of the match, The Rock shoved his face, shoved Billy Gunn's face into the woman's backside. When Gunn tried to do it to The Rock first, the Rock hit the rock bottom people's elbow for the win. Not really much to say about this match, but it was a match, and that was pretty much the end of. Billy Gunn and the burial pretty much started at that point. Then you had the main event triple threat match for the WWF Championship. Stone Cold, Mankind, Triple H with Jesse Ventura as the ref. Looks like Triple H borrowed some material from Scott Steiner for his gear. China was looking good. Uh, Pretty early on in the match, Triple H hit Austin in the left knee with a chair. Oh, we all know Austin's had knee issues in the past. Mankind missed a cannonball attempt at one point, hit the floor really, really hard. Uh, Austin hit Mankind with a stunner, but Triple H broke it up with a chair shot. Triple H would then hit Mankind in the head with a steel chair. Ventura refused to count because Triple H used the chair. Shane McMahon comes out to argue with Jesse about him not counting. And then Shane gets sent flying over the top rope after Austin hit him with a stunner. Triple H would then hit Austin with a pedigree. Later on, Mankind takes Triple H out. He would hit Austin with a double arm DDT to win the WWF title. After the match is over, Triple H gets a steel chair and just wails Austin's knees with a steel chair. And the show would then end. I thought it was a really, really good main event. A pretty good SummerSlam overall. Once again, guys, I want to appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity you guys have given me to be on the podcast. The best wrestling podcast in the world right now. Nick, Vaughn, appreciate you guys once again. Stay safe out there. Talk to you guys again soon. Peace. Thanks again to Chris Johnson. For your patronage. Almost forgot about you there. But we got you. <laughs> Should have did that a little earlier. But we got you in. Before we even started talking about the matches. So appreciate it again. Thanks for joining us yet again. If you want to be like Chris. And be a part of the show. Head over to Patreon. Patreon.com slash Radio. Pay the nominal fee. Put in your request. We will, we will fulfill it. And you can be like Chris. And even join the show. And be a part of the deep dive. We went from uh, one before, CJ to another CJ. How about that? There you go. Also, before we get into these matches, I got to ask you, Nick. Hmm. Where were you in life in August of 1999? Probably a little petrified. Uh, I was about to start high school in a couple weeks. So, <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, I had graduated eighth grade. I was in a you know elementary school, so we had a graduation after eighth grade. And heading into high school and not realizing that a lot of the people I graduated with would not be at the high school I was going to. I went to a public school. Some others that I were close with were going to, uh, you know, private schools in Delaware. You know, you had, what, uh, Padua Academy in Silesian, uh, you know, boys and girls schools in Delaware. So, yeah, I didn't really uh, understand that I wouldn't be seeing those guys uh that I was close with too much. Uh, yeah, just, I was in a weird time and I knew, you know, I was more involved in the internet age at this point. So I knew, uh, they had been building or wanted to build from Austin and triple H. But obviously I totally forgot once they showed the video package about what happened in the weeks leading up to this, to build to the main event. Like I forgot about China's involvement. I forgot about a lot of this stuff. So, yeah, I think the fact that I forgot about a lot of this stuff, uh, maybe WWF was cooling off a little bit in, in my head. I wasn't, like, 
so much in love with the product, but I was a huge fan still. I was watching everything, taping everything, and WCW wasn't that great at this point. So I don't know. And the internet, you know, I was going back and forth, and I don't know if it was really messing with my enjoyment of wrestling at the time because I, I started knowing like a lot about what goes on behind the scenes and I knew Austin was hurt and I was just wondering you know how long and we would see a few months later they he would get neck surgery so yeah I wasn't like thrilled with the whole wrestling world at this point but uh yeah I, I, I can't really remember too much about that summer like I remember other summers and usually I remember other summers from the lead up to SummerSlam. <laughs> you know, that, like that's how I, as a kid, how I would view my summers and remember my summers. And other than being afraid of high school, <laughs> I didn't. Re- I don't really remember much. Uh, I remember before I went to high school, people always was like, "Man, people freshmen just get beat up on the first day of high school yeah, just because." Yeah. And I was like, "What?" Yep. I was a fighter back in the day, so I was kind of ready, but I, you know. <laughs> I didn't know how I was if I was going to be outnumbered, you know, yeah. and stuff like that, you know. So, but yeah, I heard those same rumors, and nothing happened to me on the first day of high school. And yeah. I don't know your experience, but <laughs> I did not get beat up my first day of high school simply because I was a freshman. Man, um, someone approached you, you'd be like, "Let's up, go!" <laughs> right? But you hear that type of stuff, like, man, they, they, man, they just, they just beat up freshmen on your first day. Like, then nobody would go to high school. People would just drop out, <laughs> just getting beat up. <laughs> Well, I remember that's what's inevitably waiting for you. Yeah, in eighth grade, I went to the high school for a tour, and my sister was there. We were four years apart. So she had graduated high school when I graduated eighth grade, so we weren't in the same school since I was in fourth grade. And, uh, you know, just going there and seeing her, she was, like, in gym class at the time. She came out. She's like, hey, Nick, blah, blah, blah. Like, her friends were there. They just, I'm like, man, like, I feel like such a dork because these seniors are being, like, so stupid with us like like not what's the word i guess like just patronizing in a way maybe uh mm-hmm. you know it wasn't like they were really excited to see us they're like ah oh, look at these guys they're eighth graders haha like we're they're laughing at us even and we're too stupid to realize it <laughs> that's kind of how i felt when i took that tour so uh well, I was 10 years old in August 1999. I think I was getting ready to enter the fifth grade uh, at a new school. I was I went to school. I'm, you know, I lived in southwest Philadelphia, uh, and I went to school around there. But then I started going to school up in the northeast called Farrell. It's like a K through 8. So, yeah, I started going to school up there. Even though I lived in the south in southwest, I went to a school, a middle school in northeast Philadelphia, and it eventually went to high school up there too. Uh, I was kind of a genius when I was in middle school, you know, straight A's, honor roll, <laughs> and they, you know, they had like a draft of some sort for like smart ass kids, <laughs> like, and I got drafted by this school up in the Northeast. Wow. That's where I went. How about that? It was weird. It was really weird. I could have just went to a uh, an area school, a school in the area, but they was like, no, nah, you're gonna go. In, in, in this draft, I guess. That's the, only way, that's the best way I could describe it. Wow. You got drafted. So, I did. I don't know where I was drafted. Like, first overall. round, first <laughs> overall. I, I probably disappointed, though, because I was not a straight-A student in middle school. <laughs> probably considered me a bust, even though I did graduate. 
lost. Uh, you know, and graduated from high school and graduated from college. So just so that team specifically, you were some good. Well. You were a good undrafted free agent for a lot of schools. Yeah, but I was drafted by that middle school. It's like I'm trying to think of like a player who like the team that drafted him. He didn't do well for, but then he moved on and had a good career with other teams. But it's not coming to me off the top of my head. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that's where I was in August of 1999, getting ready to go to a new school and start the fifth grade. As a 10-year-old, and also very, very much into my wrestling fandom in 1999. Like, (laughs) this was, I was in it. This was a couple months after I cried, after not being able to watch WrestleMania 15. Did not cry after not being able to watch this show. (laughs) But that's not, there's no reason to cry. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's okay. Uh, It was all right. I lived. Uh, I did not miss anything here on this show. Uh, but let's start to the show. Let's get to the first match, shall we? Can't wait. The opening match. What'd you say? I can't wait. And by the way. Okay. Are you going to. Oh, well, you know what? Go ahead. I have something ready. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to wait for the perfect time to play it. All right. Oh, no. I don't like this. I don't like the sounds <laughs> of this at all. Uh, the opening match at SummerSlam in 1999. We have a double title match. The WWE Intercontinental and European Championships are on the line. D'Lo Brown defending both titles against Jeff Jarrett. J-E-F-F-J-A-R-R-E-T. Ain't he great? He aight. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Jarrett comes out with Deborah, who was looking good. And yep. everybody in the crowd thought so as well. <laughs> yep. But because <laughs> so Jeff Jarrett Nick, was a... So did Nick Pacone at home. Watching oh, this I'm live. Sure. <laughs> did, did you like? Did your mom make you turn away? You had to tape it and like no, I, I <laughs> the think, record button uh, ready. I think maybe I went, you know, to quote unquote get some food from the kitchen, even though the kitchen was in the same room as the TV. So I just uh, left to go, you know, get a snack. Okay, and, well, uh, watching a snack. Yeah, and Deborah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> but Jeff Jarrett, he was a heel. So he immediately kicked her out of the arena. Yeah. Like, get out of here. Even though he walked all the way to the ring with her. Yeah, right. <laughs> then he turned right around like, get out. <laughs> you know what I picture him saying behind the scenes or behind backstage before they come out? Be like, you know what? Let me see how the crowd reacts. And if they right. like her more than me, I'm going to kick her out of the ring. <laughs> you know, get kick her out, out of the ringside. Yeah. So, but Deborah, she she's just so eager to be at ringside. And she wants to be there so bad that she... Asked D'Lo Brown if she could accompany him to the ring. And for some reason, D'Lo Brown <laughs> said, oh, yeah, come on with me. <laughs> Why? What you owe that woman? You don't owe that woman nothing. You got to defend two titles. What's this going to do for well, you? He's probably thinking, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat Jeff Jarrett then after the match. Oh. Hey, man. Think with your brain, not the, not the other one. <laughs> You're looking at the real deal now. I mean... He, he's feeling like the real deal. <laughs> I'm going to get the girl. I'm going to get the titles. Let's do this. Also, D'Lo Brown, double champion at this point. Yeah, totally forgot. That's, that's wild. Was yeah. he the first Eurocontinental champion? Nah, because d- didn't Kurt Angle do it in, earlier this year? Or was that 2000? No, Kurt Angle didn't debut until late. Like, oh, that's Survivor right. Series 99. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it was WrestleMania 2000 when he yeah. d- defended both. So, yeah, that's right. Um, he might be, actually. How about I think that? he is. Well, wait. Uh, was Triple H maybe? Nah, I don't think he held both. I don't think so. Time, so. No. Yeah, he could be. I think he is. 
Mm. Pretty wild. Uh, during the match, we get a glimpse of John Randall sitting at ringside. And they mention him later on. But in case you didn't know, John Randall, Pro Football Hall of Famer, had nine double-digit sack seasons for the Vikings. <laughs> he had 10 in 1998. Vikings went 15-1 and one that year. That was the year they had Moss's rookie year. He had 17 touchdowns. And his rookie year, they had Randall, they had Randall Cunningham. You know what I'm saying? It was they was it was crazy, and then they lost in the NFC Championship, which was pretty wild. Uh, but John Randall, 137 and a half sacks for his career, seven-time Pro Bowler, six-time All-Pro, 1990s All-Decade Team member. So I say all that to say he was pretty good. He was a pretty good player <laughs> back in the day. He was he was pretty good, you know. It reminds me of that uh, little shot Lawler took at JR later in the night. Did you hear that one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> who cares? What do you guys play football? <laughs> I have that as a clip, by the way. I can't wait. And, to play I, and that. I've had thoughts about that too, as well. <laughs> okay, great. So we're gonna talk about it. Uh, the fans had thoughts. All they thought about was we want puppies. That's all. That's all they were thinking about. <laughs> so it's nineteen ninety nine, folks. This is how it was. Uh, the match was pretty good, actually. I thought Jeff Jarrett and D'Lo Brown had a nice showing for themselves. Uh, but that all ended when Mark Henry came out and hit his former tag team partner, D'Lo Brown, with a guitar. With Jeff Jarrett's guitar, I should say. Uh, Jeff Jarrett didn't pin D'Lo Brown to win the match and claim both titles. He's now the Intercontinental and the European Champion. And it also revealed that he and Deborah were playing a clever ruse on <laughs> D'Lo Brown. By causing the distraction, because Deborah caused a distraction, which allowed uh, Mark Henry to come in and hit below with the guitar. They must have been some sort of collusion here. There you go. <laughs> King's Jim Ross put it together for me. Very have, quickly. I don't have to think that hard. Right. Collusion here. So I guess for Mark Henry's hard work, Jeff Jarrett gifted him the European Championship the next night. Not the, not the last championship to change hands on that next that episode of Raw, by the way. Um, but the, that was actually the third time the European Championship was just given to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened with Triple H, because Shawn Michaels was a European champion. When that was technically Montreal, a match. Technically a match, but... I guess. But... <laughs> When the Montreal screw job happened, people forget that Shawn Michaels was technically the European champion. He walked to the ring with mm. the European championship. Yep. So when he won that match and became the WWF champion, he was a double champion. He was the WWF and European champion. But then he had a quote-unquote match with Triple H, and Triple H won the European championship. But then, later on, Shane McMahon ran into Midian one time, and it was so disgusted by him that he just gave him whatever he wanted. Just what happened with Midian wanted was the European Championship. <laughs> and <laughs> Shane let him have it. And then here we are here. The European Championship is just some form of payment. And Jeff Jarrett's like, well, I really wanted was the Intercontinental title. So you can have this other one. <laughs> so Which is WWF funny to me tried because, his best to make that title a joke. <laughs> well, and that's funny to me because a couple of years before when Shawn Michaels had it, I thought it was lifting the European Championship, actually. You know, it had a pretty good run in, in the first few months. And then you had uh, Shawn Michaels it. as European champion winning the world title. Uh, to me, I was like, man, the European title is like the second title here. It's not the Intercontinental title. You know, that one's the third one. That's kind of how I looked at it as a fan uh, for a little bit. How long did that last, though? 
Yeah, only a few more months. And <laughs> I think once the like Owen Hart Triple H thing with the European title happened, after that, I was just kind of like over it. I, I like what D'Lo Brown did with it before this, uh, with the chest protector and all that, and X Pac yes. and all that. And but uh, as far as like importance of the title to me, it kind of went south after like the whole Triple H Owen Hart feud over it. And Triple H retaining it at WrestleMania 15, I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> this is for title changes, damn it! But and D'Lo having being from a different European country every time he was announced. Yeah, that was, was pretty good. good. That was good. That was pretty good. Uh, which is something Tyler Breeze kind of stole when he was in NXT. He would, he would have like, oh, from his temporary residence in Monte Carlo, and it would change every week. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a wink and a nod yeah. to D'Lo Brown back yeah. in, was it 98, I believe it was? So, but that's that. We move on. We got an interview backstage with Edge and Christian. Uh, they are taking part in the tag team turmoil match, which is up next. Uh, the winner of the tag team turmoil will be the number one contenders for the tag team titles. Those titles will be defended the next night on Raw, or they will get that title shot on Raw. So we had European Championship change hands, we had a tag title match scheduled, and eventually we get a WWF title match scheduled for that Raw. So WWE was like, hey, we had SummerSlam, let's pop a rating after SummerSlam, even more so than we would normally pop, because usually... The show after the pay-per-view pops a rating yeah. on its own. But in WWF, I was like, look, man, let's do, let's pour some more on that. <laughs> Put some stank on that and add three title changes or potentially, you know. So, But Edge and Christian were starting up this feud with Gangrel, who was their, you know, their, their guy in the brood. But he has a new brood now. And in the form of Jeff and Matt Hardy, the Hardy Boys, and they will start the tag team turmoil. It is Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, the Acolytes, Hardcore and Crash Holly, and Midian and Viscera in Tag Team Turmoil. We start off with Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys, like I said. Uh, what I always liked about Edge and Christian, at least in the beginning, was that they came out through the crowd. I always thought that was pretty unique. I know The Shield did it, and that's prob- they're probably more known for coming out through the crowd. But I thought it was pretty dope when Edge and Christian did it. I would not recommend it, though. These days, because of the <laughs> pandemic, of course, yeah. the panorama, I would not recommend it today. Mm-mm. Which I'm still surprised that WWE doesn't have like the big glass or like at least like tarp off the first couple rows to keep the fans a little further away from the wrestlers. You're just wrestlers and exposed whoever could potentially yeah. have this virus. That's not smart. Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, AEW doesn't do it either. Uh, yeah, like what's wrong with them? Once you see it in NXT, you're like, okay, it's logistically possible, but um, maybe it's just too time-consuming. I don't know. And maybe they, I mean, they don't need plexiglass in hockey. It's not like, because that'll probably drown out some of the sound. I don't think so. Does it drown out sound in hockey games? I mean, well, if you're you're standing right next to it and you're trying to talk to somebody on the ice, like, they can't hear you. And they, like, they just can't hear you. I don't know. And it, in a WWE arena, like no one makes noise anymore, so well, that's because <laughs> it might even be worse. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. <laughs> don't blame that on the fans. Oh, I'm not. I'm just saying. I think if you put the glass up, it might uh, get even quieter. <laughs> They're gonna have to pipe know. in more. I mean, hey, it's WWE. They might pipe in more chants like uh, they had. Put- so. Protect your wrestlers. That goes for both WWE and AEW. Yeah. Protect your yeah, performance. I agree with that. You know, you, like I said, when we watched basketball this past season, 
they had fans. They had fans at a lot of at all those games in the playoffs, and they were packed. But those first couple rows behind the bench, uh, and you know there were no courtside seats over there, by the way. And those first couple rows behind the team's benches were tarped off. People couldn't sit there to create distance between the players and the fans because they wanted to protect the players. If you're WWE or AEW, you can afford to do kind of the same thing. Tarp off or do some crazy type of barrier to where your fans aren't reaching out and touching and potentially breathing on these wrestlers and potentially getting them sick with the, va- with the virus. Like, what are y'all doing? This just makes too much sense, I guess. I don't know. I just wouldn't want to expose my performers to potentially that many people. Yeah. You know. So, and you see the wrestlers that they're, and hey, look, y'all put some blame on the wrestlers, I guess. They're reaching out and touching the fans. Hey, how you doing? High-fiving them. I would not be doing that, bro. <laughs> would Gonna not. have, like, hand, the hand sanitizer at the, the announce table or something. <laughs> right away. Yeah. So, Here, show, like that, the, show that video package as the wrestler goes to the announce table. <laughs> Take some. <laughs> have like the little the, the, the uh, sanitizer dispenser right there, like right as they get to the ringside. Just attach it to the out. ring post. Attach it to the LED <laughs> ring post. <laughs> That's the, the Purell dispenser. And go shoot out some uh, the, uh, sanitizer. Go, <laughs> shoot it right out, right then and there. Rub it in. Let's let's wrestle. <laughs> um, Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys, though. I, I just feel like. These two teams in particular, I don't know if they get enough credit for... I mean, they get credit for like, oh, they had great matches. And of course, the, the stuff with the Dudley boys. And they made the tag team division hot in like, 90, like late 99 into 2000. But Edge Christian and Hardy boys in particular, they really did revive tag team wrestling, period, I think, in North America. Because even in WCW, tag team wrestling wasn't that big of a deal. You know? But they made it fun again. You know, yeah. you watch... WWF and WCW, tag team wrestling it is a thing, and you know, obviously. But it wasn't fun. It was just like another match in the card. When Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys are doing their thing, they 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 turned it they you know turned it up a notch. And they made it interesting again. And of course Dudley Boys came in and came along and they yeah. had the ladder matches, but I think just the art of the tag team match, just the normal tag team match. I think Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys are pretty responsible, largely responsible for really reviving that match and making it unique and dope. They were doing stuff that no other tag teams were doing, at least here in the United States and in North America. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for what they was doing in Japan and Mexico at that time, as far as tag teams or even trios matches, but they did some dope stuff and it really revived that match. And it, of course, you know, culminated in the at least at this point with that ladder match they had at No Mercy, and it only got turned up in the months, mm. you know, ensuing months, but. I think they really deserve a lot of credit for really, because again, the tag team wrestling just got just had got tossed by the wayside, man. Like it just was like an afterthought, and they made and it, it fun. It still kind of was at this point, and they were really yeah. like, yeah, I agree. They're the, they were the catalyst for, uh, you know, a, a a year from this point. You know, they're having TLC, uh, yeah, TLC two, right? I think. Yeah, uh, no, that's the first TLC at the rest well, at SummerSlam, at SummerSlam and then, okay. And, and that was like the second. That's like yeah. the second biggest match in that card, right? And so, like, these guys were the mainstays of that. And we didn't have uh, Midian Viscera, that type of stuff. Draws Albert, right. you know, they were actually tag teams. Like you said, the Dudleys came in. Uh, they had other tag teams, and the division just got so hot. And this night at SummerSlam '99, it didn't really feel that way. I mean, yeah, they had the Ac- acolytes, which were I really enjoyed, but. 
I mean, the tag team match was Xbox and Kane versus Big Show and Undertaker. That's not right. that doesn't scream tag team to me. So, and I forgot about Draws and like I said, Albert yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah, this is pretty much the catalyst for the upswing of the tag team division in WWF. And honestly, I don't know how WCW was at this time. I know they had a lot of young guys going in, and I don't know how their tag team division was, but nobody was talking about it enough for me to like you know remember. So I, I just no. remember Edge, Christian, and Matt and Jeff. No, like like you said, they had the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania, which was the best match on that show, right? They had TLC one at SummerSlam, which was the best match on that show. And as far as still like high profile matches, that was number that was number two match on that show, mm. right? Yeah. And then they had TLC three, which wasn't the number two match on that show, arguably the. Best match? I mean, The Rock and Steve Austin was a great match. Uh, but it's up there for like two or three between that, maybe Undertaker and Triple H, or maybe Benoit and Angle, or something like that. But like, that was still like a, a marquee match for that show. That was a match that people were looking forward to. And that wasn't the case. Like, you hear, like, this is just another match. It's tag team turmoil, but people aren't really going out of their way to watch this. You know, it was just another match, and it wasn't even a title match. Like, they, this is for the number one contender spot. They're going to have the title match on Raw. This is just another match. And yeah. a year from now, like you said, and it's by the like way, that tag title match, thing. the tag title match on Raw didn't even last two minutes. I mean, look at that. <laughs> there uh, you go. We'll get we'll get to that later. I have the exact time of that how that match went. <laughs> there you go. But you know, a year later, it's the biggest thing on the card, arguably. Yeah. So. Like it could have actually been a catalyst for somebody to order the pay per view. That's how hot it was. Like yeah, really? a, lot, a lot of people order. I mean, maybe not a lot. I don't talk to that many people about what makes them order a pay per view even back then. But you know, if they see that match and they're like, you know what, it'll be worth it. And yeah, maybe the other matches will be good. But that's the match I want to see. And they would order it just based off like one, maybe two matches. I'm sure if you bought a ticket to SummerSlam 2000. Or WrestleMania 17, you were looking forward to those matches. You like yeah. this is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, I want to see The Rock. Yeah, I want to see Triple H. Blah blah blah. But like that match, that's gonna be a car wreck. I need to see that match in person. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's something you got to witness in person. Um, and then in this match, you got the, the crazy spot with the guardrail where Jeff and Ed, Jeff yeah. Hardy and Edge went on the guardrail and Edge speared Jeff Hardy out of the air. A much tamer version of the spear out of the air <laughs> that. They did at WrestleMania 17, but eventually Edge and Christian beat the Hardy Boys to advance. Out comes Viscera and Midian. Edge and Christian beat them and also beat Draz and Prince Albert uh, before the Acolytes came out. Hmm. And of course, the Acolytes, they're not playing any games. <laughs> All right. But before that, let me, let me skip over. This is when King mentioned to Jim Ross about <laughs> how he always mentioned what college the guys played football at or where they played professionally. I don't know. You had thoughts yeah. on it, you said. I'm waiting for it. Go ahead and tell us about the football careers of Bradshaw Farouk. I'm not going to do it now. You've hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your American campaign, but yeah, nobody's okay. in that either. <laughs> 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 I love, like, Law just randomly threw that in there. Uh, he was like, all right, I'm waiting for it. Like, <laughs> I mean, right. and if he did, look, if Jim Ross wanted to talk about it, he could have talked about it with the act. Well, that's because Bradshaw played football right. in college, and Farouk is one of the best players in Florida State history. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he's in the Cal Hall of Fame. And it wasn't like Lawler playing heel here. I was like, all right, let's go. Like, I'm waiting for it. Like, to me, right. at least, it didn't sound like he was playing heel there. It was just like, all right, let's go. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was a little self-reflection for Jim Ross at that time. Maybe. But Ron Simmons, college football Hall of Famer, like one of the best college football players of all time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so he could have, if anybody could have ran down their accolades as far as football, it would have been Ron Simmons. Um, but I, I know we talked about it on King of the Ring '97 because it felt like he just did it for every wrestler. And it, and I, like I said, I didn't mind it. I just I just know where WCW got the material from to make fun of Jim Ross, <laughs> right? Mm. Because he did do it a lot. But for me as a kid, I liked it because it lent credibility to the athletes. These guys were more than just wrestlers. These guys were mm. legit athletes who played football or whatever. And I was like, I, I don't know. I As a kid, I, like, I didn't care. I was like, you know, that, maybe because I was a football fan too. And that yeah. it meant something to me, you know, resonated with me in that respect. But I thought it lent everybody credibility. We talked about Draws playing for the Broncos or... Uh, you know, whoever played football and whatnot, you know, I was here for it. So maybe it annoyed some people, but I wasn't one of those people. I wasn't uh, a football fan here uh, yet. I would actually start watching the Eagles at the end of this upcoming season, uh, the 99-2000 season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, it. I didn't look at it the same way you did, but because to me, uh, I already – kind of understood people looked at wrestling as a joke, even though it was like popular, more popular than ever in 1999. Uh, it was more about the performance art than it was the actual athleticism. So uh, I don't know. I felt like if you ran down accolades for somebody's football career, it's like, okay, well, that was like, what, 10 years ago? Like they're wrestlers now. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate it now as I've grown up uh, what people could do and obviously change career paths and stuff like that um, but to me as a fan I just didn't care much about that stuff I was like okay what it I was like why don't they mention Ron Simmons when because at the time I knew Ron Simmons won the WCW title in 92 I was like why don't they mention that why do they have to talk about his football career he was a champion in WCW like come on mention that yeah <laughs> <laughs> It is what it is. But Edge and Christian runs up against the Acolytes. Uh, pretty much as soon as the bell rang, the Acolytes were in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. They didn't, they didn't waste any time <laughs> uh, getting to the ring. Uh, but the, the Hollies come down early for some reason. I don't, they didn't even do anything. I think they messed up the timing. Because uh, they thought somebody was going to get pinned. But uh, I guess Bradshaw kicked out. And then... Because oh. Hardcore Holly started going in the ring, and then he stopped. But then Brad, oh, Bradshaw got the pin. Bradshaw got the pin, though. So then, like they had. So why would he think if Bradshaw's getting pinned? Like they're the team they face. So why would he be? They also like, know who's winning the, the match, right? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. It was a, a little messy situation there. Weird, but either way, the acolytes eliminate Edge and Christian. They had a good run. But now it's time for the Acolytes and the Hollies to get together and have a match. Right? You ready for that? No, nobody's ready for that. Nobody cares. The Hollies start fighting each other. Baruch hit Hardcore Holly with a spine buster. Acolytes win. They are the new number one contenders for the Tag Team Championships. Moving on. (laughs) There you go. Moving on, we get the current number one contenders. Big Show and The Undertaker coming to the arena for their tag title match against X-Pac and Kane. 
because they had the tag team champions uh, later on in the night. We're looking at now we'll go to Pepper. Oh, poor Pepper. Mm. Poor Pepper. Pepper, <laughs> who's with Al Snow. We know what happens with Pepper eventually, <laughs> at least in storyline, <laughs> not in reality. But in the storyline, that damn dastardly big boss man. What a piece of trash he was at this point. Uh, he did. Let's just wait a minute. We got to talk about Big Boss Man real quick. He kills a dog, cooks the dog, feeds it to its owner, and like a month or two later, kidnaps a person's deceased father, kidnaps this person's coffin while they're in the coffin during the funeral, and drives away with it. Like, what? Greatest heel ever. (laughs) Who came up with the thought of Big Boss Man becoming this terrible human being? In such a quick span of time, like he went from like right. just you know normal baddie to like absurd human being, <laughs> like <laughs> in a month span, and did some of the most horrible things, horrible acts ever committed in wrestling. Never say anything like it. Unreal. Never say anything like it. But Al Snow was talking to Pepper when before Pepper was <laughs> while Pepper was still alive in storyline again in storyline. Um, trying to calm it down for some reason, and then we get Road Dog coming out with his fanny pack and the microphone, and he comes out. He's going to challenge the winner of the upcoming hardcore title match, but Chris Jericho interrupts. <laughs> I forgot how long Chris Jericho's entrance used to be before, yeah. <laughs> like when he first debuted. It was the countdown, then the music. It was like two buildups, and then the pyro. And, and like their actual music, and it's like, damn! I'm glad they cut out like that second build up because even like Road Dog was pointing to his watch at one point, like, damn, this is taking forever, bro. I'm like, can we get to it? Like, you know. But with that said, Jericho's music was dope at this point. Yeah. Now we get to hear it so. all the time on Peacock, but even during his WCW days, but. Oh, yeah, that's weird. That's really weird. That's stupid. But Jericho's on top of the Lion's Den, because there is a Lion's Den match on this card, too. Don't forget that. Uh, And he called the show boring and shamed the fans for being kind to paying money for the show. Uh, One thing I noticed is that... uh, Well, I guess it gets the rest of the promo with Jericho. Uh, He insults Road Dog, of course. You know... Uh, I didn't think this promo was that great from him. Like Again, earlier, I, I mentioned why I didn't think early, early Chris Jericho and WWF wasn't that great. Uh, Road Dog had a pretty brief response. Jericho got mad, and that was it. So a very underwhelming WWE I, pay-per-view uh, de- debut for Chris Jericho. Yeah, I enjoyed this, though. Listen I did not. to this embarrassingly silent reaction that these people are giving you right now. <laughs> But you see, you hear like his voice. Yeah, he says thank you at the end, and that makes it for me. That brings it full circle for me. But the the, the embarrassingly quiet <laughs> ovation, like he, that was his WCW voice. Okay, but I, I I didn't mind it because I followed him in WCW, and you said you weren't. I, a, I mind it in hindsight. You, Maybe you I wouldn't have like uh, really knowing him in WCW, like his character too much so i did and i thought it was like a That's great fair. playoff what i saw in wcw i was like oh it's the same guy you know wwf is right. trying to completely change him 
I said, I'm saying all this in hindsight. At the time, if I was more familiar with Chris Jericho, I probably wouldn't have minded it like you. But in hindsight, it just didn't fit. But what I did notice is that Jericho, to me, kind of represented a shift in the type of wrestler that WWF was bringing in. Because you think about, in a couple months, Kurt Angle starts up, and then beginning of next year, you got the Radicals. And also Taz comes in. All of a sudden, I think we talked about this before. The bar gets raised yeah. for the, the the quality of matches. The bar doesn't lower for the entertainment value neither. It's not like these guys weren't over; they were. Chris Jericho eventually again found his footing and became one of the most popular people on the whole roster. But you look at between like Jericho and Road Dog, where Road Dog was like. They're pretty much a Chris Jericho of that time. Like he would talk all the time. He was involved in funny stuff. He won the IC title, won the hardcore title. But you look at Jericho and Road Dog from an in ring. I think even Road Dog would admit that Jericho was like on, on another level <laughs> yeah. from him as far as what he could do in the ring. You know, Road Dog could talk, but when the bell rang, Jericho was 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 miles better than he was. It's just how it was. No disrespect to Road Dog. It's just I think most people would agree with that. Hell, I think again. I think Road Dog would agree with that, <laughs> like, yeah. right? It's just the, the bar got raised. We go from even like Jeff Jarrett and D'Lo Brown, who are both quality. I'm not saying I'm not disparaging them. They are both great. I think that match they had in the opener was very good. I can go to give you D'Lo Brown and Val Venus from the previous year SummerSlam. I thought mm. that was dope. Yeah. But when you're talking about Jericho, Benoit, Angle, Guerrero, those four in particular, whew. And you slide them in with The Rock and Steve Austin and Triple H and Kane and, and The Undertaker. They was tearing the house down. And, of course, you got the Hardy Boys and the Dudley Boys and Edge and Christian. X-Pac was still there for a little bit. Like, it was it was kind of unfair, like, yeah, that roster. It really was. You know like, what I'm saying? What's WCW like, going to do? Like, how are they going to combat that? Right. And Bringing young guys, guys like, that nobody knows and no one's going to give them a chance. So. Right, and, and it made guys like Val Venus and kind of even like D'Lo and Jeff yeah. Jarrett made them look kind of ordinary, unfortunately, even though they were great. You know, I'm not going to knock them. It's just those guys were on another level, man. Yeah. Just what it was. Agreed. Um, <laughs> so it is now time for the WWF Hardcore Championship match. We have Al Snow, who has left Pepper backstage. Defending, or he's not defending, Big Boss Man is defending against Al Snow, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Snow makes his entrance, but he kind of climbs up on on the uh, the staging apparatus, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and sneaks attacks Big Boss Man, <laughs> which is really dumb. Uh, Road Dog sees this and immediately leaves the announced position because he, after the promo, he stayed to call this match. Uh, but he gets up and says, oh, I'm, I got to see this up close, and he grabs a microphone, and for the rest of the match, he's on the microphone making comments yeah. over the microphone, which was, I would say now, highly unnecessary. <laughs> um, but yeah, Al Snow and, Ro- and, and Big Boss Man are fighting backstage. It's Road Dog on the microphone talking, and this was just stupid. Like, the Road Dog part of this match uh, was dumb. They were trying too hard a little bit here, just I think, to kind of shoehorn him in. Cause, just cause, so now... The next night, Road Dog was getting a hardcore title match. 
Oh, okay. Oh so my god, they, they had needed, another title match. They need to uh, have him in there for some reason. So I guess the fact that they were going to go across the street into a bar and stuff, and they thought Road, Road Dog would add to it. Uh, but he, he did, I guess, factor into the ending, so maybe that was their way. But like the way they did it was just like, eh. Why didn't you just put him in the match? <laughs> I, I understand because that. They, like, uh, I guess. You don't want to have two know. triple threats on the same show, I guess. But they did everything else during the Attitude Era. Nobody, they didn't right, give a damn. Right, exactly. It wouldn't there really was no rules. They, they didn't abide by some rule book. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> they were doing everything they can to be outside of that rule book and outside of the box. And this was one of those ideas that it felt like, well, instead of Road Dog being in the match, how about he calls it over the microphone? He's right there and he's kind of funny and stuff like that. How about that? And then they go to the bar, blah, blah, blah. It was just stupid. <laughs> Maybe if it was The Rock, he could have pulled it off, maybe, but Road Dog yeah. didn't. Sorry. This wasn't good. Uh, at one point, Big Boss Man grabbed the carrier that Pepper was in. She wasn't. Pepper was not in it, but it, we didn't know that at the time. Right. But he grabbed the carrier and just threw it down like the hallway. But the <laughs> like, funny damn. thing is, like, there were people around there, so and nobody reacted. You know, it's a good right. get the carrier because I. But we didn't know like, as a viewer, so it made me laugh even more when he did that. Because then Lawler was like, wait, is Pepper in there? Like, what? <laughs> I put that, and that should have gotten way more heat than it did. Like, they, we thought the dog was in there. You know, throw the dog down the hallway in the carrier. The announcer didn't say much about it. Road Dog just like, whatever. I, and his name is Road Dog. <laughs> even he didn't care. <laughs> no remorse for that dog. So uh, that was weird. But they fight into the streets of Minneapolis, the mean streets of Minneapolis <laughs> in the summer. Uh, King said it was, <laughs> JR said it, it reminded him of watching the Blair Witch Project, yeah. which was a massive movie at this time. Do you remember, have you ever seen the Blair Witch Project? I think I watched it once uh, a long time ago, but uh, it, it took me years after, it was what, in theaters at this point, or maybe little, I mean... Uh, Let's look it up. If it quick. wasn't in theaters at this point, it was, you know, obviously before this or the end of 98 or whatever. But yes, Blair Witch Project, totally uh, on my radar. But I didn't like going to see movies in, in the theater too much. I would only go with like, you know, on a date or whatever. So Blair Witch was never a date movie. So I didn't see it until it was on uh, one of the movie channels, uh, the premium movie channels on cable. Well, the reason why King said that is because they, you know, the cameraman was running up at one point to the to the fight that was happening, and it reminded you know the, the shaky cam of somebody yes. running. Yes, because that was like with the Blair Witch Project. Was that like the first mainstream movie that did that, or at least uh, at least in a while? Because I remember it was the commercials being like real, like it piqued my interest, but not enough yes. to want to go see a movie. <laughs> yes, it was definitely. If it wasn't the very first, I don't know if that's the case, but. Uh, I think I think a movie called Cannibal Holocaust was like a found footage movie. Technically, mm. I'm not. I gotta kind of look at re- revisit that to remember exactly. But it definitely like uh, made that genre really popular because it's been a bunch of found footage type films since then. Like best among them is probably Cloverfield. I don't know if you've seen that. I have not, but it was uh, kind of had the same feeling of that one as well. Yeah, Cloverfield was actually pretty dope, and as I saw that my freshman year of college, and I remember the trailer, one of the theatrical trailers for Cloverfield, that played before Cloverfield was the first Iron Man, 
and that was of <laughs> course the beginning of like the Marvel saga. You know, what I'm saying I remember watching the trailer and be like, "Oh, that's dope." And then of course I didn't know what was coming, but like, you know, but. Blair Witch Project, you mentioned it, like, people thought this was real, like, this was a massive, like, movie that was made on a budget, right, uh, but it made millions of dollars at the box office, uh, it was released at Sundance in January of 1999, and it got released in theaters, like, July of 1999, so, let me look up the exact date of that, um, but yeah, that that the, the like the marketing campaign for that was genius, yeah. where they made it felt like oh this is real, like these are real people, <laughs> right? Who actually went through this. And, and at the same time, the footage, like the camera work, like I was like, if it was a real movie, nobody would be focusing on their face like that, like tears and snot and everything. I was like, oh, yeah, that's this isn't. This isn't real. <laughs> but you never know. It, it felt real to me watching stuff like that. And I think that's probably why I didn't want to watch it because I didn't want it to ruin any of my, like, I was still only 13 or 14. I still could be scared at that point. So It's still real to me, damn it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was a, <laughs> U, UPN had, like, the thing about aliens. Uh, I don't know if it was this year or before. It was, like, something on, I think like, I remember that. Mountain or whatever. And it was supposedly home video footage and... And then they had like the UFO land, and I, I think oh, I remember watching that, bro. Yeah, and they had like they were like in the house. Yeah, they were in Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. It was Thanksgiving, and it was like what that the hell nonsense. And the aliens are walking off the ship. Yeah, <laughs> what I, was that called? It was something on Lake Mountain or something. Oh my god! Like, yeah, no, they tried it because I actually they looked it up it, not though. too long ago, and I remember uh, I think it might have been on YouTube or something. It was oh like incidents. That's so wild. I remember that. But Blair Witch Project Alien. made for sixty thousand yeah. dollars released July <laughs> July sixteenth, uh, July thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine worldwide apparently. Oh wow! But that movie made two hundred and forty eight million dollars worldwide. <laughs> Jesus! It opened with one point five million that in the opening weekend. But yeah, that 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 marketing campaign for Blair Witch Project was wild and was dope and yeah. revolutionary. And really kind of created the genre of that found footage. I remember watching that when I was a kid and being like legit scared and thinking these people were really dying in the woods. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was a crazy movie back in 1999. Um, and it had people going, it had people believing, man. Uh, and this is like still like early days of internet. So, the stuff you saw in there, you probably believed. And it and was like, I think one of the first movies that really used the internet to market itself, too, which was a new yeah. thing, obviously. Because the internet was still relatively new, so all that combined really made for uh, a dope. The movie itself wasn't like great; it just, it just, it was just really creative and really revolutionary. So, yeah, Blair Witch Project, the uh, movie I was talking about, called Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County, and (laughs) it was it. it aired on UPN in January of '98. So this was a whole year and a half before this. Uh, and oh I remember God. watching it live because I, on UPN, uh, I don't really remember much of the programming before SmackDown went there, but they had you know syndicated programming that about shows I love to watch. So I would watch UPN pretty regularly. And so when they started, you know, advertising this, I was like, oh, like that'll be interesting. And 
This is a whole year and a half before the Blair Witch, so it scared me like when I watched it. <laughs> I believe you. Like I'm pretty sure people thought it was real too. Yeah. Like this is like I said, ninety eight. Like come on. Yep. Now. Yep. And it so. was like. I remember watching it in my room. I had gotten like a TV in my room, and I, UPN was a network channel, so I had the antenna for a little bit before I got cable. And uh, for a few years, I just had an antenna so I could watch like the network channels. And UPN was a network channel, so I watched that in my room, and I was like, "Mommy, I'm scared." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. About uh, WWF or WWE is trying to replicate that style ever since with the damn shaky cam and. <laughs> oh. All that nonsense. It's absolutely gross nonsense that makes the viewer sick. Literally, physically Literally. sick. <laughs> to their stomachs. All right. But uh, back to SummerSlam 1999. Al Snow and Big Boss Man are fighting into a bar. They're in the bathroom. Al Snow uses, uses a urinal cake on Big Boss Man. <laughs> Big Boss Man screams in terror like he's being chased by the Blair Witch. He's like, <laughs> not the urinal cake, no. Uh, Alice Snow did a moonsault off the top of the bar, which was pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, at one bad. point, Big Boss Man shoves the road dog. I said the road dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah why not? Um, He'll be not, whatever we call him. Not the road warrior, but the road dog. Uh, but the dog retaliated by hitting Big Boss Man in the back with his own nightstick. Alice Snow then hits. Big Boss Man in the testicles with a pair of uh, billiard balls, I guess you can call them. Yeah. Which didn't really seem like they it was necessary, but all right. Why not? Uh, and then he pinned Big Boss Man on top of a pool table to regain the hardcore championship. But his celebration was short-lived as he's running back to the arena, <laughs> which was customary for this time period. Uh, he is met by Big Bo- by Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards. How about that? Good friend of the show. Blue Good Meanie. friend of the show, Blue Meanie. Both Philly natives. They get their ass whooped here, though, <laughs> by Al Snow. And then, <laughs> at one point in the match that we were just talking about, Al Snow, or I forget it was Al Snow, Big Boss Man, took a crutch from a hobbling man backstage. And then, after, while... After the match, when Al Snow's beating up Blue Meanie and Stevie Richards, he takes the other crutch from the same man who's just still standing there, waiting for something to happen, I guess. And then he falls down. He's, oh, no. <laughs> so. Uh, I think I think they were trying to take Pepper. Is yeah, that what they were doing? that's what uh, I think Lawler had mentioned. Because even I was just like, what? Like, you couldn't, the camera work at this point was pretty bad because we couldn't, we didn't know what the hell they were doing. So the commentary had a, uh, pick up for it and of course Kevin Dunn's gonna be like see that's why I, I produce the way I do now that's how he sounds apparently that was weird yeah it was <laughs> that was very weird my voice or this whole thing this whole thing oh your voice was, could be too, my but... voice was weird as well <laughs> I mean <laughs> like, I'll I let will you slap it <laughs> but there you go after that Moving on from that, we got Jesse Ventura backstage laying down the law once again, this time to Mankind. And he tells him the pinfall has to happen in the middle of the ring, which that's usually the case, Jesse, for yeah, triple I mean, bet matches. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't yeah, count maybe, anywhere. There, maybe there's no DQ, but 
I think we understand the rules of the triple threat by this point because they yeah. had used it a, a little Fall, bit. Falls do not count anywhere. They count in the ring only. So, whatever. Moving on from that, we have the WWF Women's Championship. Ivory defending against Tori. Remember this one? Ivory oh, and Tori yeah. Oh, yeah. living together in perfect harmony? Absolutely. That's terrible joke i apologize i apologize to our listeners out there for making a terrible joke but we tried to this match ha- invoke like the ghostbusters mm. i don't know mass hysteria <laughs> oh yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we'll go right by that <laughs> this match happened Dude. because ivory attacked tori on heat and wrote on her with, I think they said shoe polish? Shoe polish, yeah. Wrote on Tori yeah. with the shoe polish the word slut and skank. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. That means Tori gets a women's championship match. And that is the story. That is uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's how they built women's matches back then. It's, yep. It sucked. It sucked. The fans... I don't think they could have been more silent during this match. No. They just no. did not care at all. Which, I don't I mean, even look, think any of them, like Ivory or Tori, like pandered to the crowd, did they? I mean, I didn't notice I don't think they so. did, but it's like they didn't involve them. So, <laughs> and the time of the match is only four minutes and eight seconds. So, yeah, easily I mean, Ivory, the uh, shortest match of the night. Ivory did a big swing, but did like four revolutions. Uh, Ivory is a Hall of Famer, so I'm not. I don't. Yeah. Really, I, I like Ivory. I think Ivory is actually pretty dope. Tori, eh? Uh, yeah, she did a pretty what they did rough looking spear at yeah. one point. Yeah. Uh, she did a pretty dope catapult like move though, where she flipped Ivory across the ring. That was pretty dope. Um, but Tori tried to do a sunset flip, and Ivory just landed right on top of her. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that was intentional. Yeah. Or what? But. After that, Ivory Pender and won. That was it. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> and it really, I don't think that was the planned ending because Tori legit looked like she wanted to kick out. And Ivory was putting all her weight on the shoulders so she couldn't. So I think, something happened. I think something let's, happened. I think something happened. Let's end this and let's get out of here. Let's get paid. <laughs> get out of here. Because this is dying <laughs> on the vine. Ivory tried to take Tori's clothes off because that's, you know, probably the most important thing they wanted to get across in this match. Yeah. But Luna Vashon comes out and chases off Ivory. So Tori gets a keeper top on, much to the chagrin of the fans in Minneapolis, I'm sure. Was this the first time she was back in a long time? Because they acted like Luna was like, oh, that's Luna Vashon. Like, not that she was returning from, like, an injury or an attack. It's just like, she, it's almost like she left the company and then came back or something. And I don't remember I mean, she the She was at the War Rumble. In 99? Yeah. Well, I, she, she was she with Gangrel? No, oh, that's she right. Was that's, that's right. She was with Shane McMahon. Uh, oh, but she right. wasn't at WrestleMania. We, okay. So I don't I don't know what happened yeah. off the top of my head. but uh, It's been a while then. So maybe it was an injury or something. I guess. She looked but, different. I mean, her hair wasn't... Uh, crazy as it had been on WWF TV so yeah how about that yep how about that 
Moving on, we get a promo with Michael Cole and The Rock. And The Rock can just talk his ass off. That's what he did here <laughs> in this promo. He just he, he was The Rock. And you know what that means. That man can talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> then we get to look at Billy Gunn, who's walking someone through the arena with a blanket over their face with two holes in it for the eyes so they can see, I guess. Looks so. like the uh, higher power. Yeah. <laughs> we had the higher power already, right? 99? We did. We did. Yeah. Like two months God, before this. <laughs> what a terrible thing. <laughs> Jesus. It was me, Austin. <sighs> it was me all along. What? I can't believe I missed it. I missed it because my cousin was graduating high school. So I oh. went there and I set the VCR and it never played, it never recorded oh, Raw. God. So I got there, you know, 40 minutes after Raw started. So I missed the whole payoff and I had to go on the internet and I couldn't find an answer because I, <laughs> like people were like obviously messing around on message boards and stuff. And I was like, who, how was it? <laughs> it's Ted Turner. <laughs> <sighs> that's that's unfortunate. I feel I'm sorry to hear that, yeah, man. It sucked. I was, one of the Raws I was looking forward to the most in that now, era. Were you disappointed to find out with Vince McMahon? <laughs> uh, not really. Time. I was like, I I think at that point I knew, like he was the owner. He's playing a character, and I enjoyed him more as an Austin adversary than uh, Austin like friend. And at this point, they had been kind of like getting along with each other because of the whole Undertaker and Stephanie thing. So when it was Vince as the higher power, I didn't even care how they explained it. I was just like, cool, finally, they're like at odds again. <laughs> that also meant Vince McMahon had kidnapped his own daughter. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, I, that was weird. So. That was stupid. He's crying over the teddy bear right? <laughs> when he kidnapped his own daughter. What, what what lengths he wouldn't go through to screw Austin? Right. That's that's a bit absurd. Yeah. That was that was that was stupid. Now we cross the line here, <laughs> All right? Into absurdity that we should not cross. Uh, speaking of absurd, the next match on the card is a Lions Den weapons match. Because the Lions Den match that just wasn't enough. See, <laughs> yeah. we need to add weapons to this. And give the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock, and a pretty dangerous man in his own right, Steve Blackman, weapons. Because their their hands and feet aren't lethal enough. And mm. Steve Blackman's name, nickname, the lethal weapon. He himself <laughs> is a lethal weapon. Let's up the ante by giving him a weapon. Listen. <laughs> WWF was making a lot of money at this point. The ratings through the roof. Ticket sales, man, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't buy a ticket. You couldn't sell anything to get a ticket. Tickets were scarce. But man, was some of this stuff really stupid. Like did everything, pretty much every match from here on out had some type of stipulation except the main event. Yeah. Well, technically that was triple threat, right? Yeah, but I mean, there was nothing really added. I mean, I guess you count Jesse Ventura added to that, but like, yeah. it had to have something. Right? This had to be a Lions Den match. Which, okay, okay, that makes sense. You had the Lions Den match the year before at SummerSlam. Let's follow it up. Yeah. Okay, but let's add weapons. Like, <laughs> do we need weapons? They're in a cage. <laughs> like, in this fake UFC cage. It's attitude. <laughs> okay. Okay. 
the only thing I really gathered from this match, one, this match was really boring, in my opinion. I don't know why. I like both guys, but this match bored the hell out of me. Yeah, I mean, the story wasn't that great. Steve Blackland wasn't over until he really teamed with Al Snow, in my opinion. Uh, oh, head cheese? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy Steve Blackman at all until that point. Uh, I liked Shamrock, but then he was just kind of lost after the corporation stuff. So, And then the union stuff. Uh, oh, the like, union. He's just kind of lost. Uh, but I, I will say, his theme song still bangs. A bop. Dude, yeah. Tell me how awesome that is. Awesome. Cut that off before we get a season assist. We're gonna go a little bit because we have to reach the point of where it crescendos into the Here it is. That's enough. It'll fade out soon. They're gonna come <laughs> get us. Such a great song. Theme. It's a dope song. Oh. It's a great it's a great song. Ken Shamrock was dope. And as, as in general, and I yeah. really wish I understand he wanted to go back to MMA, but I really wish he stuck around into 2000 because he could have had some classics with Kurt Angle, yes, and Benoit and yes. Guerrero, and then eventually guys like Edge. Hell, how about Brock Lesnar? How about hell, even like a Rey Mysterio could have had classics, yeah. Booker T and Ken Shamrock. Whew. Christian and Ken Shamrock, I mean, that probably even happened. Even Edge probably happened at some point. But, like, by 2002? Whew. Yeah, that would been great. Man. Ken Shamrock could have been whooping some ass in, <laughs> you know, fake fake ass in WWF. <laughs> he should have whooped some real ass in UFC and MMA uh, after, after wrestling. But, man, I wish he stuck around until, like, 2000, 2001. Man, yeah, I'm that would have been dope. Fan of, I was a big fan of him in that time period. Ken Shamrock was, I think people forget how great of a wrestler he was. And how I think Austin he was, he had a better run. You know, like he, he was, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but Ken got it. Like the way Kurt Angle got it. Well, uh, Shamrock was also a from, wrestler yeah, before but p- pivoting, MMA. Right, and that... Even the audience, though, you know, like this, he didn't, it's hard to, like, he wasn't one of those guys to hype up the audience. It was like his actions did it. He wasn't like, you know, great on the mic, trying to hype up the audience himself. Like, I mean, yeah, sure, he did like the come on thing sometimes, but like the whole loose cannon type thing where he would like explode and the way he did Bulldog at SummerSlam 97, just like go nuts and that was the Ken Shamrock I like fell in love with the way he went nuts after Wrestlemania after he beat the rock but then he wouldn't let go of the ankle lock and then the refs reversed the decision and he just went ape shit like that won me over so much and you didn't really see many people do that now like Shamrock was really like the loose cannon honestly like he would freak out like that and you wouldn't even know. He would just beat up everyone. And I loved it. I loved it. And that, to me, got him over with me. I don't know. It was just something about him. Maybe because I knew yeah. he was from the UFC. I see him on uh, UFC VHSs at the video store. And I'd be like, oh, Ken Shamrock. Like Maybe maybe it's because of that. I don't know. Maybe because I knew he was legit. 
<laughs> he was dope. And again, I wish he could have stuck around. He could have had even better matches with the talent that came in later yeah. this year and early yeah. next year. I don't know if he would have stuck around if he knew what was going to happen next, but maybe he made more money going back to the MMA. I'm sure he probably did, but yeah. and worked less dates and all that. But man, could have had some classics. Um, but Ken Shamrock won. I think what he <laughs> knocked Steve Blackman out. Yeah, it was weird. I thought, uh, I guess there was a ten count. I don't know because it was just random. Knocked him out with the kendo stick, and then all of a sudden the bell rings a little bit later. It's like, oh, okay. Like Steve yeah. Blackman didn't give up or anything, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this was this was not great. <laughs> I don't know why they went with this, but another lines den match. It's not like we needed it, but maybe they were like, oh, our SummerSlam tradition, a lines den match. But only those two. I don't think they have one the next year. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. I can look it up. I don't remember them having another Lions Den well, match uh, after this. We'll cover it next week. So, but they didn't have it in two thousand. No, no. Uh, let's see. They had it. Yeah, that was it. SummerSlam '98, SummerSlam '99, and that was it. Mm-mm. That's all they needed to be. So, there's that. And moving on, <laughs> we're <laughs> backstage with Kevin Kelly, who's attempting to interview Test prior to his match. To, against Shane McMahon in a Greenwich street fight. Again, another stipulation. Uh, but Tess, he, he, he ain't got time for talking. He literally yeah. just says, talking time's over. He keeps it moving to get ready for this Greenwich street fight against Shane McMahon. And the stipulation is, if Tess wins, Shane would agree to butt out of the relationship between Tess and Stephanie McMahon. If Tess lost... His relationship with Stephanie McMahon would have to end. <laughs> Gotta love those storylines where men decide the woman's life. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Stephanie wasn't a grown-ass woman by this point. Right. King had the audacity. Jerry Lawler had the audacity to say, uh, as the cops come. <laughs> uh, but he had the audacity to say that this was possibly the most important match in the history of WWF. <laughs> uh, I mean... The audacity. If, if Tess doesn't win, then Triple H never marries Steph. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bro, this was not an important match. This was just Vince Russo's obsession with Jerry Springer coming to life yes. yet again. Yep. That's what this is. Yep. Love her or leave her. That sounds like a title to one of Jerry Springer's episodes. Sure and the was. Angry Brothers fighting the guy, and they're fighting on stage, and and, and Steve Wilkos has to break him up thirteen times and all that. Like that's all this was, man. This is this is this this sucked. The match itself, okay, but the story, come on. This is just more Jerry Springer nonsense that Vince Russo was just obsessed with. I'm sure he saw it. Jerry Springer was like, "We need this in WWF." He did that many times. Some of it worked. And some of it was funny. But uh, 90% of it was not. <laughs> it was not. And this was one of that, a part of that 90%. Again, Attitude Era made a lot of money. It's still remembered fondly to this day. But please, people know that, that not everything 
was good. A lot of it wasn't. Uh, the back of Shane McMahon's jersey for this match, though, said, I just passed a test. Which is like, <laughs> super clever there, Shane. Super clever stuff. Uh, definitely, the wasn't match, a, definitely wasn't a uh, piss test. Because I'm sure Vince didn't have his son do those. Ooh. I got no intel on that. <laughs> uh, before oh, the no. match, Dimitri Posse. Now. Shit. Uh-oh. <laughs> You sued Nick Bacone. Nah, no, 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 no. <laughs> not me. No, 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 not no. the straight shooters. No, no, no. Not an LLC. Why couldn't he give him a fake name? <laughs> they, they, they know your name. Know. Your name is on this show. Your name is in the description. Almost 300 episodes. <laughs> it is in the logo. Literally in the logo. <laughs> so, they know who to call. I have to think of it alias. ain't Ghostbusters. It's Nick it. Alias. Hillis Pacone. <laughs> my name is Bryce Harper. <laughs> Bryce Harper. That's my name. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be Pick Nicone. <laughs> That's when you your alias. <laughs> it's not bad. Not bad at all. Uh, yep. Uh, before the match, the Mean Street Posse, who were all beaten and battered by Test, hobbled their way to the ring to support Shane McMahon at ringside. They sat on a couch yeah. that was at ringside. I think there's a lamp next to the couch, too, which is like, this is a brightly lit arena. I don't need a lamp. Uh, but you had Rodney with his arm in a sling. Pete Gass had a brace around his neck. Joey Abs had his had a boot on one of his feet. Like, they were all yeah. beat to hell. Yeah. Hilarious. Test beat all they asked. It was like the walking wounded out there. The hell happened to him? <laughs> Test happened to him. Um, there's a lot of brawling, obviously, in the crowd. The Mean Street Posse get involved a lot, which is to be expected. Uh, Shane hit Test with a mailbox at one point in a glass picture frame with a photo of him and the Mean Street Posse in it. <laughs> Uh, Tess at one point kicked the referee in the face by accident. The ref's face bounced off the bottom rope. That didn't look pretty at all. Hell of a bump. Yeah. I don't think he purposely did that. Too bad that wasn't Earl. Wow. I think it was a Mike Kyoto. Yeah. He was Kyoto. Yeah. The posse eventually jumped Tess for like the 13th time and then lay him out on the Spanish announce table, which allowed Shane McMahon to climb to the top rope and do that big old elbow drop through test and through the announce table uh, that we know Shane for. That's the spot he does pretty much in all yeah. his matches. <laughs> but at this point, I don't know if it was me, but that spot did not get that big of a pop back here in 1999. No, I, I said the same thing. It was kind of like, oh, okay. Right. And I don't know if it's editing the crowd, uh, if there were chants going on, because WWE edits everything now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing. It was kind of like, oh. I guess they're just desensitized now. It was like it wasn't mankind falling off the cell, so who yeah, cares? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> maybe they're not. Maybe they're just desensitized. And that was probably me too. Stuff. That was probably me watching live. I was like, okay, big deal. I saw mankind go through a table, sixteen, fifteen feet in the air, like whatever. <laughs> and it's probably an announced table spot in like every big match on yeah. every pay per view. Yeah. So if you've seen it once, you've probably seen it a dozen times by this point in 99. And I so. think that's kind of why, even as a fan, I'm just kind of like, okay, like I see that a lot. I didn't even think about 
you know, their well-being either. I was just kind of like, eh. (laughs) (laughs) Get up. Yeah, I was just like, okay, that wasn't even real elbow drop. It wasn't, because to me, like, the Macho Man's elbow drop was an elbow drop. Shawn Michaels had an okay one, but I was like, Shane, that was like a a shoulder bump. <laughs> yeah. He tried. Time, I mean, good. I mean, he, he's talented, and he, he he's done a good job on these, like, drops. But at that time right. frame, as a fan, I was just like, eh, whatever. And the, and the fans in Minneapolis was the same way. But you know what did get a big pop? The appearance of Patterson and Briscoe. Pat Patterson and Jared Briscoe. How about that? Came down to the ring, got a big ovation from the fans as they started beating up the Mean Street Posse, who interfered no less than a dozen times in this match. Uh, thanks to the help of Pat Patterson and Jared Briscoe, Tess hit a pump handle slam and his own diving elbow to Shane McMahon, pinned him, and picked up the win. And he could keep, with that win, he could keep his relationship up with Stephanie McMahon. Fans were very into this finish. They weren't into that elbow drop from the top rope through the announce table, but they were into the finish. Yeah, you had uh, Patterson and Briscoe, man. <laughs> that's that's the reason why they were the most over people in the match. <laughs> that pop when they, I, I mean, we heard the pop before they even came in the camera angle, so it's kind of like, okay, yeah. what are they reacting to? <laughs> oh, Jer- Briscoe and Patterson get that <laughs> yeah. big of a pop? All right, I mean, they were over. I mean, like, just listen to this. Road signs. Right, Jeff Briscoe not knowing how to use weapons in wrestling matches, <laughs> just jumping up and people looking all awkward. They were into it, but, but he was fired up though. Yeah, Jeff Briscoe. This feels like the NWA back in the day, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Me and my brother Jack doing things back in the day. I'm assuming they were gone for a while because of the Mean Street Posse. So, I guess yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, but. So much was happening. Yeah. It's hard to remember. <laughs> that was probably like two weeks ago. <laughs> that was like a long <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. In that they time missed frame. one episode of Raw. And I was like, oh, they're back. It's like, they, <laughs> they were gone for a week. <laughs> but Stephanie McMahon, she runs down to the ring to be with her man forevermore. Tess. Psych. <laughs> <laughs> Tess went through all of that. Just to have Stephanie leave his ass anyway. Damn. <laughs> Pray for him. Not even uh, didn't even last the rest of the year. By the right. end of, by the end of ninety nine, it was yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's a damn shame. Did him dirty. Did him wrong. Mm-mm-mm. Rest in peace to Tess, by the way. Yes, gotta mention that. Uh, he's he's pretty talented, in my opinion. I'm not quite sure why it didn't work out, but. He had a great look, and he can work, but it didn't quite work out. Like to be at least for him being like a big, big star, right? He had he had a couple good runs though. Uh, up next, WWF World Tag Team Championship, Kane and X Pac defending against the Undertaker and the Big Show. This is Big Show's SummerSlam debut. Yeah. How about in his? And his trunks, which I am glad he never mm-hmm. wore trunks again after this time period, because he did not look good in trunks. <laughs> like, nah, just, uh, like 
he could have pulled it off if he stayed in shape. I think uh, in his body when he debuted there, he looked pretty good. But at this point, he started to gain that weight back. I know he had liposuction before he debuted in WWF, so it was kind of uh, kind of gaining it I, back. I think he looked better in the singlet, regardless. Yeah, I like that. Um, at this point, the Big Show was pretty much put with the Undertaker just to learn how to be a good big man in wrestling. And Big Show talked about this himself in interviews, or Paul White, I should say, uh, talked about this himself in interviews where he just, he didn't really have to learn, I guess, that much in WCW because he was so big, he was a little giant, and he just didn't have to, and I guess he just, you know, rested on his, rested on his laurels, and he was literally smoking cigarettes on his way to the ring <laughs> at one point. <laughs> Uh, but when he got to WWF, they put him on Undertaker and put him on Undertaker's wing, and he had to learn how to be a, a, a quality big man, and he, and he did that eventually, uh, and has put together a Hall of Fame career. Uh, so there's that about Big Show. When it comes to Kane, though, very interesting about Kane. Uh, Kane, this is the time where they were trying to start to really humanize Kane, mm-hmm. and for the first time, he was talking. Which we are two years, almost two years in to Kane as a character, and the man r- never spoke until this year. And in the beginning of him talking, he would use the voice box because I mean, you know, he's supposed to have burnt up in a fire, and he's, the reason why he wears a mask because he's so deformed. So he would use the voice box, and then when he doesn't use the voice box, he, his voice sounds all kinds of messed up. I guess uh, that didn't last too long because just go a couple years down the line, Kane is speakingly. Speaking very eloquently <laughs> and, and perfect, it was you all could hear in his him head. just loud and clear. It was all in his head. <laughs> right, it's like his vocal cords rebounded so gracefully, and he had this beautiful voice all of a sudden, clear and you know a lot I of gotta, bass in it. I gotta say, this was a great moment. <laughs> My God, that's like a triumphant moment for Kane. <laughs> him saying "suck it." Suck it. <laughs> Him saying suck it was like, yeah, Kane, yeah. It's like, he just told everybody to suck it. <laughs> Go ahead, Kane, live your life, man. You tell him. Okay. Uh, I like the promo before the match with, like, they, in the video package, and yeah. in one of the promos, Undertaker was like, they're going to call SummerSlam Armageddon. It's like, wait a yeah. minute, sir. Sir. Yeah. Wait a second. That's going to happen later this year. Don't give it away. The first Armageddon happens in December, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I noted that. <laughs> Somebody get Undertaker the pay-per-view schedule for the year so he doesn't say that. <laughs> it's going to be called Survivor Suit. No, no. <laughs> that happens November. Um, SummerSlam is going to be called the Royal Rumble. Mm, damn it. That's in January. I got nothing. It's, it's going to be SummerSlam. Damn it. That's it. <laughs> it's going to be SummerSlam. We're going to whoop somebody's ass, and that's the end of that. <laughs> so, uh, Kane and X Pac make their entrance, and Kane is wearing like some new gear. Yeah, he's got like a mostly black design with red accents instead mm. of the the opposite. Uh, and he also had like in the shirt part, he had like sheer in it instead of like a solid shirt. It has like mm. some sheer in it, yeah, so make it more breathable. That's that. the first time he debuted that. I liked it. I, I thought he should have wore the black, cotton, you know, mostly black with the red more often. Kind of switch it up. Yeah, I think uh, 
that was his main costume for a bit. So I don't for know. For a bit. He changed it up a little bit too much after that. <laughs> yeah, he went with the tank top for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, then I was just like, all right, relax, bro. Like, Then he went shirtless for a little while when he took his mask yeah. off. Uh, he did that for a long time. He took yeah. his mask off in 03. Yep. And he didn't put the mask back on until, what, 2012? Something like that? Maybe, yeah. 2011? The Cena thing, right? Yeah, that was like so. 20... That was 2011. No, wait. That was 2012. Early 2012. When he came back with the Cena stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, that was like January. It was before WrestleMania, so... It was, right. Uh, he returned insane. at that point. I don't think yeah. he was there before that. Yeah. And he had the mask. He had like the, uh, the welder's mask on top of it. Um... So yeah, but he didn't. He went maskless for what was that? That would have been like eight years. Jesus, <laughs> I didn't even think about how long that was. That he went maskless for like eight years, and and then again didn't wear a shirt for that long either, and then put the shirt back on <laughs> when he put the mask on, and he's been wearing the mask uh, as Kane, as Demon Kane, I guess, ever since. <laughs> well, he was um, Corporate Kane for a little bit too. Right, and he was maskless as Corporate Kane. You know, he's maskless. Maskless, I should say. Um, Kane coming like out he to is DX. Now. Yeah, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee, man. Hates masks. Can't wear a mask. Oh, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, that's where I was going with that, man. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That went right over my head. That's true. Damn, that was good, Nick. You, you deserve a, a round of applause for that. Give thank yourself you, thank one. You, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, you deserve it. It went right over my head. Um, Kane coming out to DX's music, kind of bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking to the ring to DX, and like the graphics over the screen, and you see him walking. And it's like, was he like an unofficial member? Because he did say suck it. Yeah, but he never got the green outfit, so I don't think so. Right, and that was like rumored that he was going to have a green outfit at some yeah. point, right? Yeah, and I would have hated that. I mean, <laughs> I would have I would have loved it like back then because everything was like color to me. I was like, oh, like if he gets a green outfit, then he's really part of DX. You know, that's right. how I would view it. But uh, yeah, not not now. If he wore like the black and like the green flames, that would have been wild in hindsight. Damn, that and been, like a green mask that might have worked that might have worked if the, the green was the accents and yeah the no, you can't have him no. you can't have that big man wearing all that green what <laughs> yeah that would be weird no no we can't do that <laughs> no, no no that, that would have been bad the red is bright enough we don't need him in, looking like a popsicle with the green on <laughs> we don't need that um this show actually took place in Xbox's Xbox hometown He's from Minneapolis, St. Paul. So, uh, but speaking of X Pac, I don't think X Pac gets enough credit for how dope he was back in the day. Uh, I mean, probably not. I mean, I didn't think he was anything special. And then, obviously, uh, looking back, and I was definitely overseeing him at uh, during this. Really, I didn't even care much for him as the one, two, three kids. So I think in his whole career, I just kind of didn't care about it and. Looking back, it's like, man, no, he was good. You know, like, I definitely overlooked him. I, I know he had that time period where people just didn't like him. He had, quote, unquote, yeah. that's when the term Go X-Pac away. heat, yeah. you know, became a thing. But, like, between Lightning Kid, 123 Kid, X-Pac, Six-Pac, whatever, he was dope. Like, he was one of the best, like, 
quote-unquote cruiserweights, even though he's like 220. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But he was one of the best in the world. Yeah, like uh, Bob Holly, Hardcore Holly, called himself the super heavyweight. Like right. Xbox, Xbox, like the super cruiserweight. <laughs> super cruiserweight, right. He's like the Brock Lesnar of cruiserweights. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's the Yokozuna of the cruiserweights. He's 220 pounds, my God. But he was, he was great, man. Like, I don't think people really... We need to put some respect on that, on Sean Waltman's name. And I know he's in the Hall of Fame, so he's gotten his due. But I think when people talk about, like, great athletic workers and, uh, like, I don't know, I guess high flyers to a certain extent, too. Yeah. Waltman's got to be in that conversation. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, he's, I think he deserves it. 100%. Another thing I found weird, well, for one, I didn't know Big Show and Undertaker had their own theme music. I forgot about that. But... X-Pac was 27 years old when this match happened. Oh, wow. Yet, they kept calling him a youngster. Like, is he 19? Like, he's not a kid anymore. This man is almost 30. (laughs) Like, he's literally only five months. Body, you know, look at the body compared to all the other three men in this match. He's not. He's almost 50 now. Is he a youngster still? (laughs) Like, like, he's not. Maybe he's put on some muscle by now. (laughs) Look, he is five months younger than Big Show. But he's a youngster. He is, because he's small as hell. I'm small as hell, too. Youngster has to do with your age, not your size. You can be an old, crusty, dusty man. Be skinny, but you're 95. A what? Old, crusty, dusty. Exactly, you know, Dustin know what I'm talking about. Old Krusty Dusty, Dust, Big Dust, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Big Show choke slams X Pac at one point, and only uses one foot to pin him. <laughs> so X Pac kicks out. Undertaker's like, "What are you doing, bro? This is how you do it." <laughs> and he picks up X Pac, hits him with a tombstone, pins him right then and there, and wins the match. And is pissed off at Big Show. So yeah. What are you doing, bro? Too funny. Like that's not how we get it done. We get it done like this. And poor X Pac got hit with the tombstone and lost his titles. But this was Big Show's first title in WWF. How about that? Yeah. Pretty good how one. About that. And they would face the Acolytes the next night on Monday Night Raw. Whoa. What happened in that match? You ask. Oh, it ended in a no contest. Wow. In one minute and 39 seconds. Whoa. So, that's the big title match the Acolytes won in that tag team turmoil match. So, there you have it. Woo-wee. That's, that's the good the stuff The Ministry right of Darkness explodes. What? <laughs> Not the Ministry. Mm, 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 mm. We move on, though. Now Jesse Ventura is backstage again, laying down the law again. This time to Steve Austin. Steve Austin just walks off without saying anything. <laughs> that was great. Jesse Ventura's out there like, I'm the law, whatever I say goes, and nobody's listening to him. <laughs> like, like, whatever, dude. Get out of here. You're not getting none of my votes. I don't ask for no campaign money, neither. I ain't donate nothing to your campaign. Pion, I'm out of here. So, there's that. But we move on from that to Billy Gunn as he's walking with the person under the blanket. 
two highs, two eyes in it. Because now it's time for the kiss my ass match. I'm a nice man. Yeah, I'm an ass man. The kiss my ass match. (laughs) Vince Russo strikes again. And Vince McMahon, too. Let's not uh, absolve Vince uh, McMahon from this. He okayed this stuff. Okay? Hey, listen. It was, it just made sense. You had to kiss my foot match two years prior. No, not two years prior. Four years prior. The King of the Ring with Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler. So what, what are you going to do? A kiss my arm match? Like, no. You could just have a normal match between two thoroughbreds. I'm pretty the sure the Austin and Owen Hart at SummerSlam 97 was a kiss my ass match. Technically. I know they had the stipulation, but I don't know if they called it a kiss my ass match. Uh, But this was on the bill as a kiss my ass match. (laughs) I am fine. They said it was the first ever kiss my ass match, so I guess the Austin Owen Hart uh, match doesn't count. We can just erase kiss my ass matches from history. I'll be fine. (laughs) But this, let's get to this match. All right, we got Billy Gunn walking out. And his Chiron says, simply, Mr. Ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though his name is Badass Billy Gunn, he's also known as Mr. Ass. Mm-hmm. And that was it. He had it on his trunks. It's Mr. Ass. Mr. Ass, of course, is your king of the ring in 1999. So he's here, you know, this is big singles match. He's trying to get in the middle of trying to get him a big push. They give him a new name, some new music. He gets some new gear. It's time to shoot Billy Gunn to the moon. Or so we thought. Hmm. Right? He gets to the ring while he's wearing his choker around his neck. And he unveils this, you know, full-figured woman <laughs> as the person that the loser of the match, you know, that she's the butt that would have to get kissed by the loser of the match. And right away... Jerry Lawler is body shaming this woman <laughs> who she got paid, but she got paid to get roasted on this night because Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross were giving her the business the entire match and after the match. Not great. 22 years later to, uh, you know, just body shame this woman over and over and over. You make one joke. All right, we get it. They made like 17,000 jokes. I was like, okay, yeah, you're yeah. talking more about her than the actual match. Right. Which was actually pretty good, in my opinion. You know, it's not surprising given that it's The Rock and Billy Gunn. They're both really good at what they do, but Jesus. <clears throat> uh, at one point, Jim Ross mentioned that the Vikings had beaten the Browns in a, in a preseason game the night before, which was true. Uh, the Browns were also Jerry Lawler's favorite football team. Yeah. So... But that was a preseason game. Brown Vikings beat the Browns 24-17 in that preseason game. Yes, I looked it up. Uh, but also, <laughs> this was the Browns' first season back in the NFL. Ah, that's right. As you recall, in 1995, at the end of that season, uh, going into 1996, the Browns moved to Baltimore and became the Ravens. Mm. Uh, and the Browns were not a team from 96 until 1999 when they came back. So how about that was that? like a pretty quick. They were like an expansion team when they came back, right? Yeah, so they had an expansion. So they had an expansion draft and everything. Pretty quick, uh, moving in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, that stadium, they had a new stadium, and it had an expansion draft uh, for the new Cleveland Browns. So there's that. 
Uh, <laughs> I did find this one line kind of funny from Jim Ross. She says she has the ample designated ass suitable for kissing. Like that's a that's a way to describe it. Hmm. Uh, at one point, The Rock took King's crown and put it on Billy Gunn before punching him in the face. <laughs> Jim Ross called him King Ass. Just like <laughs> fair, uh, and he's also King of the Ring, so King Ass. Uh, but besides the body shaming and the dumb stipulation, this match again was pretty good. I thought this match was, you know, well done. Again, not surprising considering who was involved. Uh, Billy Gunn hit a dope ass famouser that Dolph Ziggler wish he could do. Um, yeah. And he didn't call for the woman to get into the ring and lift up her skirt so she he could shove the Rock's face in between her cheeks. Uh, she bends over, lifts up the skirt, and we see that she has a hole in her stockings, which was not necessary. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> she had to have a hole in her stockings, too? Jeez. Uh, but the Rock averted, he avoided that, and he reversed and put Billy Gunn's, Billy Gunn's face into the lady's butt instead. She loved it. She loved it, as the announcer said. Uh... <laughs> The Rock made Billy Gunn eat the booty like groceries on front of everybody. And then he hit a rock bottom in a people's elbow. And he won. The kiss my ass match. And he my left. Because he's like, why? I don't want to be associated with this nonsense. <laughs> and this is and, The Rock really coming back as a baby face from the previous year when he got he like got hot in the fall. And then he turned him at the Survivor Series. Went on that feud with Austin backlash boom right after early summer late spring he started basically becoming a face again and stuck this time yeah stuck for good pretty well until 2002 2003 he turned heel but he was back to being a baby face soon after but yeah the rock was like nope i don't want no parts of this and billy gun's push went poof (laughs) after that like (laughs) that was it no more big push at the top for billy gun bummer Bummer. Yeah, he was talented, but I don't know why. I just didn't get that big push that looked like he was going to get at this point. So We move on, and it's now time for the WWF Championship. Steve Austin defending against Mankind and Triple H in a triple threat match. Uh, China, if you recall, was originally the number one contender for this title. and supposed to get this match. But things happen, of course, because we couldn't just have a woman challenge for the title uh she had to defend that number one contender spot like multiple times eventually losing it to mankind who then had to face triple h to determine an undisputed number one contender that goes sideways and they're both number one contender and that's how we get the triple triple threat match china is just left out in the cold somehow i don't know how that happened uh i know why she's a woman <laughs> it's like no <laughs> who china no We'll put you in the kind of in that spot, but we won't pay you like you're in that spot. <laughs> you know, we talked about that in the past. Mm. How they put China in positions to be on equal footing as the men, including right now when she was the number one contender for the World Wrestling Federation Championship and fighting men on a weekly basis. But like when she said, "Hey, I would like to be paid like the men," it was like, "What? Paid like the men? Like the top guys? No way." Just be happy you're the top woman, and that's it. She's like, but no, I'm I'm wrestling the top guys every night. I was number one contender for the WWF title. I was in the King of the Ring. I was in the Royal Rumble. 
I was Intercontinental Champion twice. Can you pay me like that? No, 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 no. let's mm. not do that. Mm-mm. Sit your pretty self down and be pretty. <laughs> yeah, going over there and be pretty, China. Rest in peace to China. That's right, man. They would have been well above, well ahead of the curve. Way they, ahead of it. If they strapped the rocket to her, I'll tell you. I mean, they did good things with her, but, man, they could have done so much more. They could have put in a title match on a pay-per-view. They probably were like, uh, you know, you'll get, you'll get the IC title a little bit, and they did that co-IC champ later on, but, man. Look, that wasn't, that wouldn't have been anything... Can, you know, compared to being number one contender in the main event at SummerSlam. That would be right. great. With Jesse Ventura as the yeah. special referee. So, uh, one thing I noticed about Jesse Ventura, by the way, is that he had a long sleeve referee shirt on, which yeah. I don't, at least in that design, at least like with the black and white stripes, I don't think I've ever seen that. Dork. <laughs> it's the summer. Like, what the hell? And he's sweating profusely. Like, I don't know. It's cold indoors, maybe. 72 degrees. Yeah, he was tops. sweating profusely after the match. Like, glistening off his bald head. The, the, the lights are bright. Right? They're hot. Yeah. Um, he got on the mic, though, before the match to address the media who called it a disgrace that he was associating himself with the WWF. We talked about it earlier. How there were people out there who frowned upon the fact that he was uh, making this appearance. Uh, and accepting a large sum of money for this appearance, but uh, he addressed it here. And he talked about, "I'm proud to be a part of wrestling. I'm proud to be a wrestler. I'm proud to be here." Blah blah blah. Fans are I excited. It. I got it. Uh, yeah, Come whatever. On. You better be proud to be there. You're there, and you're like they're building the whole show around you. So I hope you're proud to be there, sir. There's a lot of media uh, saying that I'm a disgrace for being here. Who's he arguing with? Okay. <laughs> the media. The critics. But, like, I mean, no one's saying the, anything. You're the you're governor. On, you're on you the get, pay-per-view. You got a lot of people covering you. You're on the pay-per-view. Like, relax, man. Yeah, if you're on the pay-per-view, you, you're, you're telling everybody, I want to be here. I would hope that's the case anyway. So, before the match, though, we get the entrances, and we have each guy walking, like, to the curtain. About that. Oh, at least, at least Triple H and Mankind did. Which I did yeah. like that with the cage lowering yeah. music. I thought that was dope. Um, I didn't look this up to confirm this, but is this Triple H's first main pay per view main event as a single? <sighs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't think he had it as the uh, Connecticut Blue Blood. I don't recall him like no um, main eventing in your house. No, and not as a member of DX either. So no, as a single specifically. I don't oh. know if he was in a match well, like Shawn yeah, Michaels. I mean, the year prior, he was in that ladder match, but that was not the main event. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> I know probably. this is like his foray into the main event scene, and that, the, even. The message boards were going nuts, saying like, "Ah, Triple H is a main event material." Blah blah. blah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how so, that happens. Yeah. So, 
Might have been uh, his very first singles one. Yeah, I think I think it was. Uh, for those out there listening, correct me if I'm wrong, but nicely, pretty sure don't it was. be a jerk about it. Yeah, we're funny. asking you nicely. Um, it's weird to see Jesse Ventura trying to enforce rules in a match that had no rules. <laughs> like, <laughs> pretty much, <laughs> it's a triple threat match, bro. There's no disqualifications. It doesn't matter what you say here. But what he did do was eject China after she pulled Mankind crotch first into the ring post. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, he I mean, did something there. No DQs, though. Like, come on. Yeah. Doesn't matter. No rules. Uh, Triple H pretty much had that match one thanks to a couple of chair shots, but Jesse Ventura refused <laughs> to count. He just stood in the corner and was like, mm-mm, hey, he said, not like he, this. He did what he said he was going to do. <laughs> You'll use this chair, and I'm not counting. And he didn't. He was like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And he didn't. Uh, Jesse Ventura proceeded to cuss up a storm in there. They had to bleep him out multiple times. <laughs> like Foul-mouthed governor we have here in Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, Shane McMahon runs down just to eat a stunner and get thrown out of the ring by Jesse Ventura, you know, to create a moment for the news uh, stations the next day to show Jesse Ventura was involved. And look at him here, throwing somebody out of the ring. That's pretty much that was for, I think. Uh, there's no other reason why Shane McMahon was there. So a good promo moment that would air on the news the next morning. Uh, but while Ventura was cussing out Shane, Steve Austin somehow slipped <laughs> over the top rope. And got stuck hanging upside down by his knee brace. <laughs> yeah. And he's dangling there in front of thousands of people as number one baby face looking stupid. <laughs> and Triple H, being the team team guy that he was at that point, helped Steve Austin out of it. <laughs> Had to help him out of it. Or Steve Austin probably still be there to this day. Who knows? Because <laughs> he was not getting out of there. August 11th, 2021. He's still there. Right, still there. No podcasts, no Broken Skull sessions. He's still hanging. During Timberwolves games, he's just still there. (laughs) They just dribble around the ring. (laughs) Right. What the hell? Is anyone going to help me? Are you guys going to help me? Because Steve Austin's still there. (laughs) Nope. This is your arena now. So at one point, Triple H is a pedigree. Mankind dispatches of him. Hits Austin with a double arm DDT, pins him, and wins the championship for the third time. Mankind is your new World Wrestling Federation champion. How about that? How about that? Here's about that. This shouldn't have happened. There's <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to Mankind. Mick Foley is great. He's a great guy. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mick Foley. But he probably shouldn't have even been in this match to begin with. Right? It probably should have been Triple H and Austin one on one. Where and you have a where Triple H finds a way to beat Steve Austin, you know, thanks to the help of China or something like that, and wins his first title. Or even if okay, let's say you have the match as it was, a triple threat match. That was still tailor made for Triple H to still win and beat mankind in doing so. Does that depend Austin? I'm pretty sure that's what a lot of people were thinking going into the match. Like, oh, Triple H is going to win, and he's not going to pin Austin. He's going to pin Mankind. Mankind is there to, to eat the pin. And that's fine. 
that would have created a new top star on a big stage because this is a big stage. You got Jesse Ventura there. And to capitalize on that, you create a new star and Triple H. Boom. Or you could have had Austin retain. And you could have a nice little photo op at the end of the match with Vincent, Jesse Ventura is raising Steve McMahon's arm. Steve McMahon. Steve <laughs> Austin's arm. <laughs> you know, Steve McMahon, the long lost cousin of Vince. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But Jesse Ventura is raising Steve, Steve Austin's arm. There's a nice photo op for all the papers the next day. Cause, oh, you know. Well, he would have given him a stunner, I'm sure. All right. <laughs> and that would have been dope, too. <laughs> that would have been something crazy to play on the news the next day. Governor assaulted a wrestling show. <laughs> Where was the security? And it wouldn't be Steve McMahon. It'd be <laughs> Steve Urkel. Steve, Steve Urkel? Okay. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but instead of that, we got Mankind as the champion. Who, again, is dope as hell. Love Mankind. I love Mick Foley. But he just didn't fit into this equation. Zero pop. Didn't fit. For that. No, people were like, what? Did he He really won? Like, <laughs> And then they announced it. Like, oh, yay! For Mick Foley, I guess. And he pinned Austin. Like, oh, all right. Go ahead, Mick. We like you. So, so it's all right, man. It just didn't make any sense. I don't know how you felt about that. I mean, I was prepared for Triple H to win the whole time, and obviously it was uh, reading all the message boards. It made sense to me. It's like, oh, they're adding Mankind, so Triple H can pin him and not pin Austin because uh, Austin doesn't want to lose to Triple H, and then they could have like a singles match down the road or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I was a little confused. I... Was okay. I was okay with like Triple H moving up to the main event, seeing what he could do as champion. Like I, I wasn't that type of person. It's like, oh, they don't belong here. They don't deserve this. Blah blah blah. But um, yeah, the next night, I kind of like figured that would happen after that opening. You know, when they made the world title match with Mankind and Triple H, so I kind of figured he was going to win it after that. Um, I guess they didn't want to heal to win the main event at SummerSlam too. Maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> just maybe have Ventura walking out with Mankind was the photo op they wanted, which was interesting because Mankind won the title eight months prior and it was like the greatest thing ever. And then this one, it just uh, doesn't just didn't resonate. Fit. Didn't resonate. <laughs> right. Just didn't fit into this equation. Like you said, earlier in the year, it all made sense. In this situation, in this particular situation, it didn't make any sense to me. There's no knock against McFoley. It just didn't make sense. You got to get the right players in the right spots. And I think for this spot, Mankind was the wrong player <laughs> for that spot. But, you know, 22 years later, it is what it is at that point. Uh, did Steve Austin take some time off after this match? I think so, because if not, um, I mean... He- you could clearly see he wasn't like a wrestling shape. I mean, his body was messed up. That's why he got the surgery in, what, November or December. So, I mean, they took him out of the... By the way, wait, I, I made a note of this. Uh, in the lead-up to the Ken Shamrock-Steve Blackman match, did you notice that Steve Blackman hit Ken Shamrock with a car? I did not. It was in the video package. I guess it happened on Raw one week or whatever. And they did the same exact thing to get Steve Austin out of there for a year. 
uh, and it just made me laugh because it's like, oh, Ken Shamrock came back the next week from being run over by a car, and they literally showed it like it was him getting hit by a car the same way we saw Stone Cold get hit by a car, you know, like or the stuntman or whatever. So it was just like the funniest thing and made me laugh. Um, so yeah, Ken Shamrock's so much tougher than Steve Austin, but uh, Apparently. uh yeah, I think. He was set for that main event, Survivor Series, about that triple threat, right? So, um, I guess, like, they were like, all right, after this, we'll give you a little time to reset, and uh, it just didn't get better. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Steve Austin did take time off after this match, because the next month at Unforgiven, he was just a special outside enforcer for that six-pack challenge they had for, I guess, it was a vacant championship? I didn't know the championship was vacated at that point, but Triple H, Big Show, British Bulldog, Kane, Mankind, and The Rock. So, Triple H won the title back. But he oh, did God. win the title. Like like one said, of his extra reigns. <laughs> yeah, because... But, you know, after SummerSlam, uh, the next night, Triple H defeats Mankind to win his very first of 14 world <laughs> titles. So... It's a lot going on uh, in WWF, WWE at this point. Just so much stuff. I'm, look, I'm looking at the card for Unforgiven right now. We got multiple matches with special referees. Not one. Multiple. Is this when the referees went on strike or something? Maybe. Because <laughs> I'm looking at Steve Lombardi. Brooklyn Brawler is the, is the referee for the first match against... Val Venus, Dean Blackman. They got Tom Pritchard as a as the uh, special referee for the European title match. Harvey Whippleman is a special referee for the Intercontinental title match. Uh, we have no special referee for the tag for a tag team match between the Acolytes and the Dudley Boys. So the Dudley Boys make their debut, their pay per view debut the next month, and they lose. Um, we have Harvey Whippleman, Whippleman again for the women's title match. Then we got Steve Lombardi again for the Keno and the Hutton in the Cell. Tom Pritchard for X-Pac versus Chris Jericho. Like, it's just so many referees. So, I'm, I'm thinking they went on strike at this point. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm looking at it now on, on, on Wikipedia. This is the special guest referee. featured a bunch of special guest referees because WWE officials being out on strike due to continuous assaults on them by wrestlers. <laughs> so, and by had, the way, that title They only was... had one referee serve for the event, and that was Jimmy Corderas. <laughs> That referee, uh, oh, or the reason why the title was vacated, was because Vince McMahon beat Triple H on SmackDown. You remember oh that? my <laughs> God! How, How could we I forget, forget that? <laughs> How could I forget that trash? Oh man! Good lord! I can't believe they did that in like 1999. It's I can like, believe man, it. Like, I guess they needed to make SmackDown must watch, right? <laughs> I can believe it. Man, that was trash. <laughs> I remember reading the spoilers, and I'm like, nah, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> they got it wrong, see? Because yep. no I wasn't even privy to people that could send fake spoilers. Um, so I just, I was like, oh, that's a fake spoiler. <laughs> no, it happened, man. It was trash. With that said, that is SummerSlam 1999. Nick, any closing thoughts? Not a great, I mean, not a great 
pay-per-view, I don't think. Not like no. SummerSlam quality. Uh, the main event, like everything was convoluted in a way. Like definitely a Vince Russo show, uh, looking back and seeing some of the crazy things. The lead up to the triple threat, like making China the number one contender and going through weeks worth of changes. And I was just like, man, are they, they're just trying to like dupe the internet and all these reports and stuff. It's stupid. Like, I mean, I get it in a way, but at the same time, it's annoying and unneeded and unnecessary. And, uh, yeah. So I was just kind of like over all the overbooking of this stuff. And, uh, yeah, some of the matches were good, but I'd give it, a C. Maybe I'll do letter grades from now on. I'll give it a C. I'm not doing letter grades. It just wasn't that good. <laughs> like straight up, it just wasn't good, man. It's just it's crazy how again WWF sold out everywhere they went. The merchandise was flying off the shelves. The ratings went through the roof. But they whiffed on the Royal Rumble with Vince McMahon winning. They whiffed on WrestleMania for the most part outside of the main event. Right? The Rock and Steve Austin delivered, but that was it, pretty much. And they whiffed on SummerSlam. I don't know if they had, like, a really good pay-per-view this year. At least for the big ones. They whiffed on their biggest shows. Am I tripping when I say that? No, because I felt the same way, but they were just so hot. And I'm like, okay, there were some things where I'm like, okay, what am I missing? Like, why do people love this? (laughs) Because WCW was no better. I hated them at the time, too. I was like, come on. Like, I want I wanted to be like 97 again, you know, where I felt that excitement. um, And it just wasn't there in 99 for anything. But I mean, I was in there and I was still a wrestling fan, hardcore wrestling fan. But I didn't react to things the way I did, you know, back in like 96, 97 and even 98. You know, by now, WWF was on top for so long. WCW was trying everything in its power to, like, change it up and bring it back. Hulk Hogan in the red and yellow. It's like, changing their logo. It was so... There was, like, nothing exciting about it anymore for me. I was like, man, this is, like, weird. Like, I, I mean, I still love wrestling, but I was watching a lot of old stuff. You know, that's this is the time period where I, I'd watch a lot of old stuff. And... uh yeah, I mean, it's just nothing was really resonating with me the way they did in the years 97, 98. And then it picked back up in 2000, obviously, with uh, WWF getting even better. And then it, yeah. it was actually, like, a lot better than this. Yeah, this they were just kind of, like, in a weird in a weird space now when it came to, like, actual entertainment <laughs> value. Right. 99, you're right. 99 was a year, weird year. Outside of The Rock and Steve Austin... And I guess trip, the Triple H and Stephanie stuff. What memorable memorable things happened in '99 for WWF? Despite the fact that the business was booming, but '99 was like '98. That's when the boom started, and he had Steve Austin's rise, and he was just that's when he was doing the Zamboni stuff, and and and, yeah. and the uh, <laughs> all the crazy stuff he was doing it was happening in '98. And in '99, he did have the beer truck, right? But then. At the end of the year, he he's hurt. He's, he's know, gone. I mean, he was hurt in the beginning too. Uh, you know, he he didn't do much up until WrestleMania. Um, uh, like I don't remember him. Maybe it was December and January when Mankind won the title. And Mankind and Rock had that like mini feud 
for a while and also was just kind of there you know he wasn't doing too much and then once he uh like like i said even here it just didn't feel even his entrance like he wasn't stone cold steve austin now that i like look at it and i'm analyzing it to a degree i didn't back then because i was just a fan and now that we're covering this like I, i i look at it a little bit differently and he just he doesn't feel like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Maybe it's because he knew he was going to lose the title and he knew he was certain. I don't know, but it just wasn't him. And maybe that was kind of why the product went that way because, like, its leader was hurt. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Mm. It's like Vince didn't really have a plan to replace him at this point. I mean, The Rock, you could have done it with The Rock, but, I mean... You gotta remember, he had to replace Vince Russo too. Yeah, he left Lived shortly after this. Yeah, which I mean, the product improved after that. Like yeah. honestly, like, <laughs> two thousand hit, True. things got better. I remember everyone was like, "This is the balance, the shift of power," and Vince Russo is gonna bring WCW back. WWF's gonna suck. I was like, "Nope, that's not what happened." Not the case at all. But you know, all right, well. That's SummerSlam 1999. It's time to wrap it up here for episode 295. So, Nick, take us out with some plugs, please. You can follow me at Pacone underscore on Twitter. Follow us at Shooters Radio on Twitter. And we're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Shooters Radio. And I will also have uh, an article up on our Ian Riccoboni interview. I will be taking quotes from that, making an article about Glory by Honor. It takes place in little over a week right here in Philadelphia at the 2300 Arena. And Death Before Dishonor also has moved to Philly, so I'll probably include something with that. So, yeah, look out for that at phillyinfluencer.com and possibly phillyvoice.com. We'll see if they post. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, Death Before Dishonor here in Philly. It was in Florida, but that show got moved to what Ring of Honor said was uh, the rising uh, cases in, in, uh, for the Delta variant. Uh, in Florida, of COVID-19 yeah. cases in Florida, I should say. So they moved it out of Florida to the 2300 Arena. It'll be on pay-per-view September 12th uh, here in Philly. So look out for that, people in the area. <laughs> That's a sudden uh, happenstance there. But, uh, yeah, but you can find me on Twitter, at Vaughn M. Johnson. Uh, if you can't find me there, you can probably find me out here in these streets. Hit a little bit, but, you know, this Delta variant is it's a real thing, so you got to be careful. Uh, but you can find my writing at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. I've actually been super busy with just doing social media stuff, so I haven't written a whole bunch lately. But I, I intend on doing that again very soon. Uh, yeah, make sure to go to Patreon, patreoncom radio. Be like Chris Johnson earlier, where he made a, a made an appearance, a guest appearance on the show. You can be like him and do the same as well. Go to Patreon, patreoncom radio. Pay the fee of two dollars. Send your request in. We will fulfill it. Doesn't have to be a wrestling show. Doesn't have to be SummerSlam. It can be a TV show. It could be a movie. Wherever the case may be, if it's wrestling related, we will cover it. And we will have a good time doing it. So head on over to patreon.com slash shooters radio. Until next time, for Nick Pacone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 295 of the Straight Shooters. And we'll catch y'all again next week. Hey Clavis! Wake up! Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.